Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. Broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of Beautiful, British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenhammer. And what a busy week it has been. So much stuff has been happening. White caps. MLS, Canadian Premier League, the, the national teams. There's just so, so much to talk about. We've had COVID outbreaks in Toronto. We've had a cancelled cup final. Some fixtures have actually been announced. We've actually got a schedule out for two weeks, anyway, of the new MLS season. There's just so much to talk about that we're not even going to be able to cover it all in this episode of the show I kind of worked out that between all the different chats I've had this week and what we're going to be recording just now and various sound bites and stuff, I've probably got over six hours worth of material that we could have used on tonight's show. So I thought probably no one's going to want to listen to a six-hour podcast. We could have brought this out in a, a couple of different parts. But what I'm going to do is we're probably going to end up having, I, I think off the top of my head, this is going to be a near a three-hour show. I'll just say that off the bat. Well, it'll be a surprise when we get to the editing stage to see what it actually comes to. Some stuff's going to be held back till our next episode. I've already brought out an extra podcast, so all our subscribers will have got that, which will be the the audio from Axel Schuster in the media roundtable that he did on Friday. We've brought you that in full for all our extra subscribers. But we're going to be talking uh, about primarily Vancouver Whitecaps and the Canadian Premier League in this episode. Kind of about a half and half split. But we're going to be kicking it all off with our Vancouver Whitecaps chat. The Whitecaps news of the week. It's so busy week, not even any time for us to do any small talk about Marvel stuff this week. Let's start with the schedule. The first two weeks have been announced... The Whitecaps are at home, in inverted commas, on Sunday, April the 18th. A Cascadian derby against Portland, 7 o'clock kickoff Pacific time, in Sandy, Utah. Now, Utah has now been confirmed as the base, but we, we've talked a lot about that, so there's no need to delve too much into that just now. Now, the following week, the Whitecaps will travel to Orlando to take on Toronto in a Canadian derby in Florida, Saturday, April 24th, and that is a noon kickoff 
Fantastic stuff for us on the West Coast. So, I mean, guys, a tough start against two rivals, two derby matches, two teams that already have had a couple of matches under their belt in Champions League action, because we'll, we'll come to Tor- Toronto's bit later on as to how they're now officially in the Champions League. But both those teams are going to have played a, a two-legged game in the Champions League. The Whitecaps can't even play any pre-season friendlies here at the moment. MDS did indicate this week that, that the hope is to to get some friendlies taking place down in Utah, maybe against some USL teams, maybe Real Monarchs, maybe RSL themselves. So at least they'll get a couple of games under them belt. It's not going to be the same as Portland and Toronto in actual competitive matches, but what do you make of the start of the, the season? We used to have this conversation with supporters um, back in the day about why would you, why, why did the Whitecaps always waste a big game for the for the the first game of the year, the first kick? Uh, they would always bring in someone who was a significant rival of the club, and we always thought, what a waste! Like the opening day is is a big enough occasion in of itself. It, it doesn't need you don't need to you know have a Cascadia Derby. Yeah, that should always be a sellout, no matter yeah. who. However, people in the front office told us that without those big draws, they wouldn't have sold out. Um, and I wonder if there's something going on here the same way in terms of uh, these two these two opening games being against uh, rivals in terms of wanting to create uh, interest for the, the, the TV numbers. I wonder if they really want to have good TV numbers coming out of the gate on TSN. And if it's against, you know... I was going to say Columbus, but they're, they're the holders, I guess. But it was, it was you know, against, uh, you know, one of these small Philly teams. or... Yeah, or Cincinnati. Yes, you yeah. Know? Um, it might not uh, be so great for the TV numbers, and they want to maybe um, show sponsors and show TSN that, um, you know, that they, they can, they're still a draw or that there's a great hunger or thirst for them because they've been away for so long or whatever. Um, but I, I don't, like, uh, in general, I don't think this is the, the best way to go, although on the, you know, in terms of uh, drawing attention, it, they're, they're probably right, and it probably is in this case. So, um, yeah, uh, it would be interesting to see. I, I haven't I haven't checked to see if the Cascadia Cup Council has uh, made a declaration for this year in terms of the, the oh, cup yeah. being on the line. I'll check that now while we're talking. But um, so that'll be that's always a fun game when you play Portland, and uh, and then yeah, Toronto will be interesting, especially doing it in a a new venue with no people. Or will there be people at any? Do we know if there's people at any of these yet? Well, they. Axel was asked about letting fans into to Utah, and he said that it's a possibility, but viability-wise, I mean, the, the, the thing with that, you can open it up, say you draw a 1,000 fans, you're still having to pay for security, for cleaning, for everything like that. Is it worth it? Probably not. Orlando, Florida in general is just letting fans in. Everything, as Steve, you'll know, watching AEW, fans have been there. I I don't think we'll get fans in at those matches. I mean, you, you never know, but it's a, it's a tough start to the year, Steve. Uh, yeah, but uh, it's obviously we expected that. So um, it's something that they're probably prepared for and something they'll be ready for. I think... I, I don't see RSL as being a bad position. I think we talked about it in previous podcasts where we said that, you know, if they get their fitness up and they can use that altitude to an advantage. Definitely. And I'm sure RSL has done that in the past. And I think the Whitecaps too. It might not work out in the first uh, few games, but once the season gets going, then they should, they should be able to take advantage of that. 
Yeah, I mean, Axel's talked about they're planning to be there for three months with the expectation that it could go longer. Yeah, they're booked in for three months, right? Yeah. I, the other thing as well is, like MDS kind of revealed this week, the chances are they're going to get vaccinated down there as well. Yep. And it'll be like quicker for them to get vaccinated down the US than than it would be up here. I mean, if you look at six but, months ago, when you, you saw the mess that the US in, USA was in with the virus and everything, it's like, who would have thought they would have got so far ahead of us in, in terms of that? So it might well, actually did, work out good for the, the Caps. They did have some things go on in their country that maybe... Yeah, a couple of little things. Yeah, but there's and been the some thing, changes. The thing, there's been some changes there. The thing being based on RSL too, the travel will be much better. Uh, they'll have less connections and everything. Yeah. They'll be able to, the trip to Orlando won't be as bad as what it is usually when they have to go down there. I mean, we, we don't know what the rest of the schedule is going to be yet. It's not out. The nightmare scenario is we start off with the, the Whitecaps playing these two tough games, then they'll maybe throw an LAFC game into the mix, maybe a Seattle game into the mix. And then you're talking about going the, the first few games of the season, potentially with maybe not many points on the board. And before we get into any more of that, I'll just play a little bit of audio from Mark DeSantis. I asked him once the schedule had come out, just just for his thoughts on the, the first two games that were announced and uh, the tough start that the Caps have, and here's what MDS had to say. The the first two games are at least known from the schedule now. Two tough rivalry games, Portland and then to TFC. Both teams that are, well, Portland definitely, TFC maybe going to have a couple of Champions League games under their belt. Couldn't have asked for a, a tougher start to the season by the looks of it. Yeah, but it is, um, we're used to it right now, you know, it's uh, nothing, nothing's supposed to be easy. And at the same time, it's exciting because um, there's a date for a game. Uh, there's a date for our first game. Uh, it's exciting that we're playing a rival like Portland. Um, the sad part of it is this is a, a, a game that deserves uh, fans and deserves a great uh, environment and unfortunately we're that environment part we're not gonna have um then we're flying to orlando to play um toronto another rival in in the country and um a very difficult trip but right now i'll be very very honest with you michael i'm very excited the games uh, have dates and we know where we start but i have other things i have to be concerned with and work on uh before thinking about those games MDS there, just talking about the, the tough start to the season, the schedule coming out. I think, though, the league nowadays, that if you're playing Western opposition, there's no real easy games in, in the Western Conference anymore, so it was always going to be a tough start. And no matter who they got, it was going to be a tough start because of how many players they're missing. 15 players they're going to be missing in March for the variety of reasons of international duty, visas, not being able to get here, quarantine, everything like that. They, they had a, a scrimmage today at training. We're recording this on Saturday night. So they had a, a scrimmage today. 9v9 was all they could muster. And out of those 18 players, four of them were academy call-ups because they only actually had 14 available first-team players that could take part in that. 
So it's, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to get up to speed. We played Mark talking about that last week. But help is coming. Help is on hand. There's been two new additions. We've talked about them before, so we won't delve into them too much. But two new additions now officially confirmed. Kyle Alexander. We now know how to pronounce his first name. It's Kyle. Kyle is all elite. No, sorry, he's all caps. I was just been watching too much AEW this week. He's a box-to-box Brazilian midfielder, signed from Botafogo. 22 years old. He made 50 appearances last season with Botafogo, scored five goals. He's a product of the club's youth academy. He captained their under-20 side, um, got into the first team. He's a versatile central midfield option. He can also play a bit of holding midfielder, uh, he's excelled in a in a box to box role. I mean, did did we mention that he's he's box to box, Steve? I think you picked that up yeah. from the, the release. Yeah, I've never seen a specific position mentioned so much in multiple releases. Uh, it was the release to the media, um, the release to the like the you know the public and everything like that. And I think there was a couple other. I think Zach, you said there was one other mention of a beauty yeah, box to box. Yeah, it was in the an email to supporters. I was told. Um, yeah, and in in the highlights I've seen, I do see that he's you know he's not afraid to venture up up forward and in in attacking spots. So I probably do agree that he's probably box to box more than. Yeah, he's I, I I think this might be to temper fans thinking that this was the number ten that that they'd sign. Yeah. So they're just stressing this is not the number ten. Also, is, to st- stop fans from complaining that he's a holding because everybody's just saying, yes. why do we need a holding midfielder? Yeah, I think yeah. It, it's it's nice that they're not trying to in any way uh, oversell his um, his attacking abilities um, by saying you know uh, and a, like if they said something like he's a midfielder who can attack or or he's a midfielder who will help create for you know create attacking for like it, it, box to box is a nice tempered way that they went so they in one sense excuse me I'm pleased that they didn't spin it the way I thought they might. Um, which is, I guess, refreshing that there, it feels like there's some honesty, um, which says something in and of itself. Um, but yeah, they're going another way to make sure that this, everyone clearly understands this player's role. And hopefully that's the role he gets used in. Because like we talked about last week, uh, someone like an Inbom, Inbom Wong was, was kind of talked about in one way and then used in a very different way. Yeah. He didn't. He, the, hopefully, this guy has the mentality. He's like you said, he's the captain and everything. Um, he needs to be that field marshal in that midfield, um, yeah. where he's directing traffic, getting people into the right positions, and uh, distributing the ball to the right spot. So that's what you're hoping for, and that's something they sorely needed. Um, yes, we t- always talk about the number ten, uh, but having like a like, like he's been described in some places a deep line playmaker. Uh, that's something that's needed as well. Oh, absolutely, and. I, I felt, like when I was editing the show last week, I felt it was maybe a little bit down or came across a little bit down on Alexander as a signing. I didn't mean to come across that way. I think he's a, he's a great player. He's a great prospect from what you can see from the highlights. He's apparently rated in the top 10 young Brazilian players from that position, so he's very sought after. I, I think what was more bugging me was the price tag. I didn't... I'm still not sure that's a $4 million player that you've brought in. Now, he might be. I mean, who knows? It's modern football. 
if you're getting players from Brazil, if you're getting players from certain markets, it, it's going to cost a bit more than, than other markets. But he, he looks good. And the more I've kind of looked into him this past week and watched some more stuff, I'm, I'm quite excited by, by what he can bring to this team. And if we got a box-to-box guy, first time for a long time, I'm very pleased about that. Um, and the thing is, is if you're like you said, if he if it's true, he's, he's like the number nine rated midfielder in Brazil, like a prospect kind of thing, or somebody to go over to Europe. Um, that's pretty high. I know number nine doesn't seem sound very high, but for, to come to MLS, that's that's pretty high. Oh yeah, and from Brazil as well. Yeah. It's like there's a lot of talent kicking about Brazil. I think we we all know. I, I'm particularly excited to, to talk to him about a subject that bizarrely I only found out about a couple of weeks ago and I've been quite obsessed with it ever since. It was on the When Saturday Comes podcast and it's something called Button Football. And it's only played in a couple of countries around the world. Brazil is the main country it's played in. Hungary is another big one. Maybe we, we can ask Peter Zimmerman if he knows about Button Football. It's a little bit like Subutio but it's played with kind of inverted buttons. And it's huge in Brazil. So I want, want to sit down with Kyle and talk to him about button football. I'm not sure his English is great, so that could be an interesting tran- translated thing. Is it is it similar to... Uh, is it like where you have three uh, pieces and you have to go in between the pieces or something like that? Or is that something You've else? got a full 11, but oh. it's it is a kind of little bit... You do kind of go in and out of pieces and you... Like flick things about. We it's... used to play. We used to play dime hockey, or I don't remember what you call. It. You have three like uh, coins, and you oh. have to keep going in between the coins all the way uh, to the other side of the table, and then score because you basically. I, I'll, you have to make a. Oh, I can't even do it. Like, oh, where, where's the camera? Oh, there it is. You have to make <laughs> a net. Like, you have to put like this on the on the table. Like basically, think of this as a table, and that's the net. So you have to score like this with three, basically. You you keep moving alternating coins and going through the in between each other. For those Some who can't people, see, for those who can't see this, Steve's making a net with his finger. Yeah, I, I was trying to show it, Michael, but yeah, but that's essentially what it is. It's just something you play. There's no um, official thing about it, but it's uh, something people. Play. I used to play it a lot when back in the even in the eighties. I'll check that. You can also check out Button Football. There's a whole Wikipedia page about it, yeah. but. Like, Kyle, obviously Portuguese is his main language, but he's, he's going to have quite a few Portuguese speakers that, that he can have conversations with, MDS and PDS. And our other new addition, Bruno Gaspar, the Portuguese and Golan right-back, so they all can have lots of chats as well. He was finally officially announced on Tuesday, 27-year-old, and... Went with that old football cliche. He's going to give 200%. Not physically possible. That really annoys me when I hear that in any walk of life. Yeah. You think of Milinkovic used to say that all the time last year. Uh, It's just, just, we can have, bring back our I am a cliche section again. It's just something that really annoys me. But two really good additions. Two upgrades to those positions. It's an exciting team that's getting building. Yes, there's still that big gap of the number 10. Everyone knows that. He is coming at some point. But I asked MDS and Axel Schuster just for their thoughts on the signing of both Kyle and Bruno during the week. Here's what they had to say about them. 
You've got a new right back at the club, Bruno Gaspar. Just tell us a little bit about what it was about him that made you feel he was the right piece to kind of upgrade that position. Yeah, so we 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 always felt we need to grow in the competition in uh, in some places in the roster. And last year, when we had moments where we had to play another right back than Jake, um, we played Genio there, we played Eric Godoy there, and we felt we were taking guys a little bit out of position, even if we know that both Eric or Genio in and in there, they could fill in a gap there, but uh, we felt we needed uh, a, another player there. And if we're going to bring another player, it's to make sure we bring another player that brings a plus. Um, the moment for Bruno is right for us because uh, Sporting is doing extremely well in the Portuguese league. They've been undefeated since the start. Uh, the players that are playing in his positions are doing are in his position are doing well. And then there was an opening uh, to have him on loan, and we felt that when I I spoke with him personally. I felt that it's it's just what he wants and what he needs is to be in a place where he's going to have a, a, also a chance to fight for that spot, um, gain rhythm back. And at the same time, it's a player where his um, experience, you know, not only with clubs like Fiorentino, Olympiacos, Sporting, uh, Youth National Team of Portugal at every level, um, it's definitely bring uh, going to bring uh, competition uh, and a plus for, for us as a team. Like I said in the press release, it's piece by piece. Um, it's not a piece that comes to save everyone, uh, including other guys that we're signing, but th- we believe that the sum of all parts are going to make us uh, a better team. Just got a couple of questions about some new additions that, that's been announced this week. On the playing side, first of all, what was it about Bruno Gaspar at right back and Keo Alessandra in the midfield that attracted you to to get them here? What was it in the scouting that made you feel that they were both going to be upgrades for the team? Oh, let us speak. Let us start with Bruno first. I think uh, uh, everybody who followed us last year saw that we were. Uh, short on that position. Um, Jake Nowinski, uh, who did a good job, had to play more or less every single game, even if he had only short breaks or short short uh, times to recover. Um, it was more or less the only position where we had not uh, a second, real second choice without experimenting and, and doing things uh, um, that, that are not obvious. So for that reason, um, we were following this position since a while and, and following players for this position since a while. And we were aware of his, of his situation. Um, and I think uh, there are a lot of things that attract us. Um, he is experienced. Uh, he played in a lot of big clubs already in Europe. So um, um, he, he had a very good time in the Portuguese league before he went for a huge transfer amount to Italy was later transferred back into his first league, into it, back to Portugal, to a big club there. He played in every of those clubs. He played last year in the Greece uh, first league with the best club there. He also played a few games as a left back and is able to, to do that. 
as we also running in a few uh, international breaks, windows where we maybe have to play with all, our, both our left backs because Ali is an international for Iraq and, and Guti just now qualified to be a, a, a potential left back for Canada. So there, are, there were a lot of things um, that attracted us, but uh, I think the, the, the first and foremost is that he really fits to the profile of a, of a right back in our team. He's very physically, very, very fast, uh, is good in one-on-ones, but also good, uh, feels, feels comfortable in possession. So this is a, a lot of, of positives and upsides for us, uh, in addition to, to Jake Nowinski. And it's a loan deal, so uh, this is another one, a loan deal that is structured with an option to buy that allows us even to buy him as a temp player later. Um, so uh, I think we, we uh, have all, we keep all, all trumps in, in our hands for the future and have uh, had the possibility to add a player that was sold twice for more than four million uh, and played in all these clubs. So uh, that's a chance you don't get that often. Uh, Caio. Um, is another young player as we want to be a club that uh, that plays a lot of young players that uh, focus on young players on player development um, and uh, so we were following him since November um, he was uh, constantly playing he played 50 games in the last season in, in Brazil that the season that just ended um, he was an, an important player a key player in his club Botafogo there although he is still a very young player. Um, he is a great addition as he is a, a typical classical number eight. That means he is a, um, he is different than to all our other central midfielders that we have in the group because all the others we would uh, classify as a defensive midfielder. He, I, I would call him a central midfielder. So he's a player that um, travels a lot with the ball, who is, his, who is, uh, um, who is um, uh, a real box-to-box player, uh, running a lot, connecting the game with his runs, who has goals uh, on head goals and squad goals and also has uh, good key passes from deep positions. Uh, so he, it, in difference to the player that we are still looking at, uh, the number 10, who is the final pass, pass player, the player that, that feels uh, comfortable to play uh, uh, around the box and find the, the tight spaces in, in with his pass into the into the box. He's a player who finds uh, good uh, passes or has good passes and key passes uh, from deeper positions. So um, another profile that we uh, don't have in our squad. So another addition that gives us depth. This gives us other skills that we have. Um, as uh, as we want to to have a lot of choices and possibilities, and we want to be a team that plays very physical, that runs a lot, that uh, that is also top three in all in all uh, physical in all. F- <laughs> Sorry, so they are they are working here with a signature speech or what is it <laughs> around me, and that obviously is not related to me. I thought I thought they want to tell. Me me that I should stop speaking or something like that was but was still related to our technical problems at the beginning so uh, uh, we want to be a very physical team we want to to be um, top three in all physical outputs uh, that means in the total running distance in the number of sprints and the number of intensive runs that means the, the players also have to recover and that means you need possibilities to give times to give players time to recover or to to 
to have players uh, on the bench that, that can continue to play with that intensity. I'm not saying that we signed Caio for being on the bench, definitely not with the investment we did, but uh, in, in total it, is, it makes our whole depth bigger and our whole, whole possibilities for starting 11 players, uh, the group it makes the group bigger and gives us more choices. MDS and Axel Schuster there talking about the two latest Whitecaps, Caio Alexander and Bruno Gaspar. Hopefully we will get to see them in some Whitecaps kits soon. And as I said, they're both definitely upgrades. Eric Godoy spoke to the media on Thursday through a translator, but he got a lot of questions about the defence. At one point, you can hear him kind of saying, another one? Because folk were like, the defence hasn't been good. How's it going to get better? How are you going to stop letting goals in? But Gaspar is definitely an upgrade to that right-back position. Alexander looks to be an upgrade in the in the midfield. But an interesting thing that, that Godoy pointed out is, he says for the team to be successful this year, we basically have to have two players battling it out for each position. At least two players pushing each other to just improve and I think we've got that throughout the team right now. And that's a cliche that you like. That, yeah. That, <laughs> yes. But we definitely seem to have that in abundance at the Whitecaps. Every position, obviously Cav is your out-and-out striker. But every other position, I think you, you could argue it's up for grabs because you've got people pushing for it. I think as well with this season, it's going to be obviously a, a lot of squad depth as well. But those two additions take the Whitecaps' 30-man roster to 29. Four goalkeepers, 10 defenders, 9 midfielders, 6 forwards. They've currently got 11 international roster spots. 12 international signings though right now. And if we bring in an international number 10, that's 13. So something has to give, whether it's loan deals, whether it's trades, moving people on selling them to somewhere else trading for international sports is the easiest way of doing that just what will they do well let's hear a little bit more from axel schuster just now because i asked him about that just to to see what they might do in this situation Both the players take up an international slot on the roster. Obviously, that now means that you're going to need to move somebody on or, or trade for a spot. What of those is the more likely, do you feel? Do you, do you see yourself moving some players out or are you going to do a bit of business in the league to, to get those extra spots? I, I, I learned a lot in the last year about MLS, so I know that there's a compliance day coming and up to that day we have time to solve such problems. Uh, I can tell you that there is a, uh, there are international spots available on the market and uh, of course there is also interest in our players um, and there are, may be also possibilities that, uh, that a player will go on loan or will leave the club if he doesn't see the chance of getting minutes. So we are in discussion with every of our players about his situation. Uh, I don't want to say the one or the other. I want to say that we have time until compliance day and we also have the option to buy another international spot. So this is nothing uh, that concerns us by today um, because uh, we have also here all, all uh, possibilities in our own hand as we can decide. We have also the cap and the gam available to buy one. 
Um, so we will, we will take the decision at the time we have to take it. So Axel there talking about uh, the international sports it certainly sounds like they're they're prepared to make some trades. He says they they know the sports available that they can trade for. The current market rate seems to be one hundred seventy five thousand in allocation money. That's what Orlando gave to Columbus last month, and that was the last trade for an international sport. Yeah, when we talked about this last week about who could go out, we talked about Kamiri. We forgot to mention Javane Brown really. But, I mean, Brown is a... It strikes you as an obvious one. He was asked about that, and he said, right now, because Javain can also play centre-back cover, and they don't know like, when Gasparro will get up to, to strength and everything, and they won't have the, the two right-backs battling it out. He did indicate that if there's a feeling that one of the guys, whether international or domestic, is not going to get the playing time they need then they will look at loans. And you have to think Brown's a guy for that. Kimiri could be a guy for that. I mean, what would you do? Would you move these guys out on loan or would you just try and keep them in trade, give some money up to try and get international sports? I know we've had this discussion in the past, but if a player who is international is out on loan, do they? Do you have to have a spot, an international spot for them? No. No, no, that that point. it frees up the spot as soon as they go out on loan. Is it is that only if they're gone for the whole season or like? No, well, as long as they're off the roster. Off the roster. Okay. Then if they want to come back, you have to have a, an international spot for them. I, I think I loaning's the best option, Steve. Yeah, loaning is a good option. I would say even uh, offloading some of them would be fine too. Um, uh, but uh, loaning is a good option. I I would say that. Um, international spots, the prices are very fluid. Uh, it all depends on how much somebody's willing to pay for it and how desperate they are. So, um, so I yeah, think they're going to know the white caps are desperate. That's the yeah, thing. So yeah. it could even go higher than one seventy five at one point. Sometimes that's, they go, they go for only fifty thousand. That's the awkward part of yeah. They used to go for fifty. That's the awkward part about the situation that Vancouver's put themselves in. Either they already have a plan to move people to lower the number of internationals. Or they know they have a like a fixed rate with or somewhere because other you're, otherwise you're right like someone could hold them over a barrel to, um, you know, could hold them hostage right to get to get more yeah. to get more more out well, of them. The one thing that Steve I think mentioned a week or two ago was um, you know you could see someone like a Jake Nowitzki if if Brown is going to stay uh, you could see a Jake Nowitzki being involved for a uh, for a trade for international yeah yeah I mean we'll see how that plays out. International sports are going to be premium in the, this year and next year because of this new young player sort of rule as well. Yeah. It's like these guys are going to be brought in internationally, so these are these sports are going to be suddenly become more valuable commodities. And just to finish this section off, just talking about that, Axel kind of clarified that what we talked about. It sounds like if need be, they can buy down Ali Adnan to make him a TAM player then just have your two senior DPs so you'd still be able to add your three young players. So we'll see how all this plays out. See if it's a, another busy week in Whitecaps land coming up. But there was also another new addition. We've got a new addition to the coach and staff and we're going to talk about that and we're going to talk to him after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. 
Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's this week's song from this month's Artist of the Month here at AFTN, Russian band DLB. That was their song Na Pope, which in English means take a drink. And that's taken from their new album, 11 Litres of Water, that was just released this week. Check it out on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Music, or wherever you download your music from. I'm trying to get hold of a CD. Not been very successful at that. You can see the video for that song on YouTube. It's kind of sparked a kind of viral TikTok-style video that they've been sharing on their Instagram and TikTok. Don't fully understand all the lyrics, but basically it's take a drink. So you've got your drink, you kind of mime along to the words that they're singing, then you kind of spit into the drink and then hand the drink to somebody else. Probably not the most hygienic in a global pandemic, but there you go. We'll have more from DLB next week. And I did say last week that we weren't going to be playing any more Russian songs this month. Well, I've changed my mind. It's going to be Russian Music Month, I think, here on AFTN. And we've got some more coming up later in the show. But we're going to continue our Whitecaps chat now in what, as I said off the top, has been an exceptionally busy week in Whitecaps land. We've had new players. We've had the schedule. We also have a new assistant coach here in Vancouver. A guy with 17 years of experience in Major League Soccer. He's played over in Europe, in Germany, in Norway. He's played at a World Cup for America. He's played at the Confederations Cup for America. He's also lifted a Gold Cup with the USA as well. 38-year-old, former midfielder, former Houston Dynamo legend Ricardo Clark has come on board with the Whitecaps. Bit of a a surprise appointment, kind of came a little bit out of left field, but... I'm delighted with the hire. I think it's a great hire for the Whitecaps. He's bringing a wealth of experience to the club. And he takes over from Vanni Sartini, who moved on to other roles within the organisation that was announced at the, the end of last year, Director of Methodology. And Ricardo has been kind of tasked with not just his on-the-pitch stuff uh, as an assistant coach, but he's tasked with one-on-one work with the Whitecaps' young pro players and their integration with with the performance team as well. 
He's most recently kind of started off his coaching career down in Houston with the under-16s, with the under-19s. He also has experience with the US under-20 team as well. I think it's a great hire. Why did the Whitecaps go for Ricardo? Let's hear a little bit now from CEO Axel Schuster explaining the reasons why. Ricardo Clark, you, you've added Rico as the assistant manager. What was it about him that really attracted you to, to make him the, the guy to, to be on the, the bench beside Mark and Philip? And the experience that he brings in from MLS must be invaluable to this group. Yeah, there are. I, I just said it in our old stuff with all embryos this morning. We were a little bit drafting down what is the ideal profile of our new assistant coach. Um, as we had a clear vision about that job he has to do. And uh, for us, the, this assistant coach, beside of the, the, the normal duties of an assistant coach, we want him, and that's maybe even his, his pri- prior, the priority of, priority of his job is to be the, 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 the guy that takes care for a lot of young players in our squad, uh, the, the the, the huge number of, of development players we have in our squad that we still want to develop. We have now five U23 Canadian national team players. Uh, we have uh, with Guti another one who is U23 and uh, qualified for the men's national team. We have uh, with Thomas Azal another one, by the way, that uh, it showed impressive uh, performance in, in the league. So we we also sign young players, as we have seen with our two draft picks and with Caicedo and, and Cayo. So we signed a lot of young players. So we want to have an assistant coach that it, that's uh, uh, first. Uh, this his main uh, his main priority is to focus on those guys and to help them to develop with individual plans together with our performance team. Um, and we. This means that Marco Santos and Phil dos Santos, um, who are in the in the daily business and always have to focus on to the next game in the season and have to focus on the starting eleven or the first 14, 15 players, uh, in as as it is always all, everywhere in the world have not always the time to 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 give this player that time and that that help that they need to to grow to develop. So. As we as we were looking for this guy that connects all of that, we said the ideal profile would be a player that has a huge experience in the league and in professional football. Um, in the best case, he played uh, a, a time in in Europe as well. As Europe still is always a little bit of a dream of a lot of young players who has this experience. A player that played international, maybe at the World Cup, as a lot of our young Canadian players dream from the World Cup 26. But with all of that, he also should have a passion for developing players and 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 of obviously the skills to do that. And uh, in the process, we were always thinking about how to how to um, um, to rate all of that points and where we can give up on something and where not. So because where is this ideal profile that combines all of that? And, and we are really happy that at the end of the process, we found a guy that, that combines all of that because he is a, a player who played more than 350 games in our league, but he was also two years in Germany. He played uh, a lot of international games and also World Cup games for the US, but he was and worked as a youth coach uh, in the last years in, in, for different teams. 
and he has a passion for for developing of young players. So um, said that, I think we found the, the ideal profile, the ideal guy. Is and and with all of that, he, he started to work. He started to work a few days ago, and he is already working on the first docs about individual player development and and analyzing and evaluating and developing programs for some of our young players. And I can only say that. We are all fired up by that because uh, as a club that always speaks about player development, we also have to, we have to provide the, the young players uh, the environment to get, to get developed. And with him, we now added the one guy who is responsible for that. Axel Schuster there, sharing his thoughts on why they wanted to bring Ricardo Clark to Vancouver. And as I said, I think it's a great hire. He comes with a lot of experience. He's got experience in the league, 17 years in MLS. He's played overseas. He's he's won two MLS Cups. He's been at a World Cup. He's played internationally. What he can kind of teach the young guys in Vancouver about being just professional and just being footballers and to make it in the game. And if somebody says, oh, should I think about going to Europe? He can share his honest experiences with them. I think all round it, it's a great hire and his experience and his knowledge of the league, I, I, I think is going to be in, invaluable to Vancouver. Uh, yeah, it should be invaluable to Vancouver and all the, all, obviously the coaching staff too. Um, the majority of the coaching staff came last year as with a little, very little experience mm. in MLS. So I think it should help. Uh, he might be able to identify players here and there um, that he's or trained with or seen. So it, it gives him a good value. And then also, um, I think it also is beneficial because they are um, now more centrally located in in the U.S. So, you know, he knows about the travel and everything. Maybe he can help out with that. So there's a lot of things he can probably help out. And like you said before, he's worked with younger players. And yeah. uh, and, and that will be beneficial as well. I mean, that's that's the thing, Zach. He's, I, I was surprised he left Houston, I've, I've got to say. But I think this is an opportunity that was too good to, to turn down. Axel spoke about... They, they want him here long term. This is not just a short term appointment. This is a role that they see being very vital, doing this one on one work with these guys. So they wanted to sign him up to a, a long term contract to have him here. I do think it, it's a wretch for him to leave Houston, but it was just too good an offer to turn down. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And he's, yeah, like you guys said, he's an experienced player uh, in the league, he has a little bit of experience. Uh, in Europe as well, and playing for the men's national team with the states, of course. Yeah, it's always it feels a little bit it feels a little bit like um, Dennis Hamlet. He he was I'm pretty sure he was not a Rennie person. He was mm. like the fo brought him in, and he didn't I don't think fit with everyone. The other guys are guys that have worked a long time with MDS, um, and this just feels a little bit like they want like a fresh perspective in the. Amongst the coaches, yeah, which I think is is a good thing as well. So, someone messaged well, me and said, "Yeah, someone messaged me and said, do you, do you see this possibly that they're looking long term that he could be a future manager here?" I I wouldn't rule it out. It's like he's he's going to be ambitious, but he's still he's starting off in his coaching journey, and he's 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 got experience at youth level, so he's going to learn a lot. And I I, I think just in general. 
it it's good to have that fresh perspective coming in. And he's respected around the league. And as I said, he knows how to win. He's got two MLS Cups un under his belt. So we'll see how he does. I got a chance to, to sit down and chat with him on Thursday night. So we, we did a, a little roundup of his career at club and country level, his ambition for coaching, and a lot more besides. So go make yourself a hot beverage, grab a chocolate digestive, sit back, put your feet up for the first of three featured interviews tonight with new Whitecaps assistant coach, Ricardo Clark. Well, delighted to say that we're joined now by the Whitecaps' new assistant coach, a man with 17 years' experience in Major League Soccer, played for a number of clubs, also had spells over in Europe, in Germany and in Norway. He's won a Gold Cup with America. He's played at the World Cup with America. Welcome to the show and welcome to Vancouver, Ricardo Clark. Hey, Michael. So, obviously, a super busy time for you at, at the moment, Ricardo. I'm sure you've been, been doing a lot of, of stuff since you got here. I just, I guess, first thing to ask you is, what is it that attracted you to, to this role? What is it about Vancouver that made you decide that this was the next place that you wanted to, to continue your coaching journey? So, obviously, um, I've joined on as assistant coach uh, with the Vancouver Whitecaps. Uh, just a little bit about my role, I'll be uh, more focused on uh, individual coaching, uh, individual, you know, individual development, all that comes with that. Um, you know, working with uh, players on an individual basis, video analysis, field work, uh, a lot of things related to that, to that space. So... Um, it's something that um, you know uh, I find joy in. It's something that the staff is looking for, and um, I'm happy to be a part of the group in doing that. I mean, how how did it come about then with you coming to Vancouver? How long has this move been in the works? Uh, I would say man, I've lost track of the year, but um, <laughs> I'd say maybe a, a month or two ago is when uh, uh, talks. Uh, talk started. Um, they reached out to the Houston Dynamo organization uh, about uh, my role as an assistant coach with, with this club. Uh, Houston allowed me uh, to have talks with Vancouver, and then everything just kind of snowballed from there. Um, uh, connected with uh, Mark, obviously, and, and Axel and, and Greg and uh, some people at the organization, and um, just kind of talked through my role and it was for me it was the timing of, of everything which which had uh, a lot to do with it because I was I took it upon myself with in Houston to kind of slide into some responsibilities kind of geared towards that um, even though it was not work with the first team but um, they had one or two homegrown players that uh, I had kept in touch with and uh, was doing you know some video analysis with and and just kind of uh coaching on the individual level and so uh it just felt like the right fit um for uh for what they uh expected are expecting of me but i've always been intrigued with vancouver and i always enjoyed my time here when i when i would come up here and uh i like what the club is about and you know it, it just seemed all in all like a, a good fit 
Now, in, in modern day football, the, the term legend is, is thrown about quite loosely, but from a Houston Dynamo point of view and, and MLS, you're certainly a a legend with the Dynamo. You've got the second most appearances and goals and, and lots of stats down in, in Houston from your couple of spells there. How tough a decision was it for you to leave that organisation after being part of your life and your family's lives for so long? Yeah, it's obviously uh, not an easy decision because uh, family is, is rooted there. I mean, to, to be honest, I had, I had gone back and forth from Houston uh, during my playing days yeah. um, twice. So I, I left um, in 2010 to play in Europe, came back in 2013, if I remember correctly. And then uh, played the last two years uh, of my career in Columbus, right? And uh, uh, during that time, I always kept my, my my properties there. I always kept my home there. You know, I always felt like that was home. That was what I, where I would always go back to. Um, you know, my a big part of me not leaving was because my, my kids didn't want to leave, especially my daughter. So... Um, you know, I, I always felt very connected to the community, um, and I, I still always will be. Um, but it doesn't stop. <laughs> it doesn't stop for anybody. So, um, you know, uh, it, it did take a lot for me to, to leave this time. Um, uh, this time, you know, I think it's a little bit different because my family is coming with me, you know, and uh, yeah. I'm, I'm really at this moment committed to, to my role here and, and what's going on. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm again, uh, I, I don't think you can ever have a crystal ball and, and say, this is what I'm going to do tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. But, um, I do know that, you know, this is, this is where I belong right now. And this is my concentration where I'm focused is where I'm going to be uh, enjoying myself. So, um, I hope that answers your question. I know I kind of went off on a tangent. No, to- uh, totally. Because, I mean, I, I know you hung your, your boots up officially last year and Houston did that, that lovely gesture. They gave you the one-day contract and, the, and then you retired. Can you, can you talk a little bit about what that meant to you, like to go out of the game on your terms and, and to have such a special occasion as that? Yeah, it was awesome to, to see the respect that uh, the club had showed me right, and um, for me, most of most of that connection to Houston was uh, was through not just the Dynamo, but just through the community. You know, I, I felt very, very connected to the community uh, through my kids, through uh, different works I had done uh, in the community in general, but soccer community. You know, throughout my time there, uh, whether it be you know, working with local high schools, um, whether it be uh, doing camps and clinics, uh, whether it be, you know, even when I was playing, jumping in to academy sessions that my son was involved in, you know. Um, so, you know, uh, it ran deeper than football, me being in Houston, you know. So, um, you know, saying that, you know, I, I knew a lot of people in the organization for a very long time. Our families were connected. And, you know, it only felt right to, uh, uh, to, to, to retire uh, as a 
dynamo. You know, I'm, I'm not big on like big elaborate celebrations. To be honest, I didn't even <laughs> I, I didn't really want anything uh, <laughs> like that for myself. I only did that uh, for my family. Um, you know, I, I've been talking to some people there, and they said, "Yeah, it'd be a good thing to do, not for you, but for your family." So um, that's why I decided to uh, kind of uh, present it that way. Um, which, at the end of the day, I'm glad I did. So um, it, it was funny because when I was at the, uh, the retirement presentation, um, my family was the one crying the most, not me. <laughs> so um, again, I'm, I'm glad I did that. I also got to connect with some. Some old players I haven't seen in a while. Uh, you know, Brian Ching, Mike Chabala, Bobby Boswell. I'm missing some names there. But um, it was just a real cool moment to uh, kind of call it quits and um, uh, do it in a place that it meant so much to me in a city that it meant, meant so much to me. And, and to be fair, you know, I, I had some really, I had my breakout moments in my career in, in Houston and a big part of my uh my career and especially the the good times were during that time so uh, Houston's always a, a special place for me I mean did you always plan in going into to coaching when when you did retire was that something you've been working on for, for a couple of years or was it only towards the end of your career that you kind of gave it a lot of thought yeah I'd, I'd say it became more reality probably the last two years of my career um I'd always had a passion for, for coaching. Um, you know, during my playing career, I would hold uh, camps and clinics uh, in Houston and back in my hometown of Atlanta. Um, and, you know, I always enjoyed uh, giving back to the game in that way. I, actually, I enjoyed the, the, the coaching craft, and um, it's something that I wanted to take more seriously, um, after, like I said, during the last two years of my career and after I retired. And then I started thinking about it more seriously. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, I've been 100% uh, concentrated on, on that side of the game. And, you know, playing my last two years under uh, a good coach, Greg Berhalter, um, kind of helped spur that and um, just kind of added to my enthusiasm and passion for, for the coaching side. And um, it's a lot of freaking work, <laughs> but uh, it's... I'd say uh, uh, most of it is enjoyable, which is the, the cool part of it. And um, on some levels, it's rewarding, so I like it. As you might be able to to tell from my accent, I'm I'm from from Scotland, and like in the UK for for years, there, there's been so many players that, that have been at the top of the game, players of colour, but the coaching opportunities have never really been there for them. And I know that's something that is said over here as well. It does feel slightly better over here than it is in the UK. But, I mean, why do you feel that there's maybe not as many players of colour that then decide to go into the coaching aspect of the game here or wherever? Uh, that's, a good, uh, that's a good question. Um, uh, I'm, I'm glad you touched on that. Um, so it's been interesting kind of coming on this side of the... Of the of the game, right, and, and the, the the staffing part of the, of the of the game, you know, uh, things kind of get a little bit uh, put into perspective on the reality of situations, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I think you know this is something. I'll, to be honest, I was going to touch on 
later on uh, when I, you know, got connected, more connected and settled with the organization. And everybody, I haven't even seen anybody yet besides maybe through a Zoom call. So it's going to be good to actually uh, connect with people face-to-face. Yeah. Just vibe with them and whatnot. But, um, but yeah, it's an interesting topic because, um, you know, uh, on, on, on this side of things, there's, there's a, a real... Uh, lack of, of black coaches, right, in in the uh, professional environment, and, and and yeah, you wonder why, why that is. I uh, wonder why that is, you know. And it's been a big push for uh, diversity um, on the uh, on the coaching side, and I, I really think it, it, it's necessary and it's, and it's needed because um, you know I think there's different levels to that. First of all, there's uh, a lot of black players in in the league yeah. in, in this soccer world, right? And I think it's only right that um, you know there's a, there's a connection with those players on the coaching level, right? Even at the academy level, you know, look at Houston for instance. I'd say most of the most of the kids playing are uh, black or Hispanic, yeah. right? And so you know on the coaching level and the leadership level, that, that should be represented, right? And uh, it's the same in the, in the entire soccer world, right? It's such a diverse amount of players uh, in the game. Uh, you know, why, why should that not be reflected um, in the leadership level, in the, in the coaching level, in the, in the executive level, in the, uh, uh, the ownership level as well, right? So... Um, you know, it's a beautiful thing when when you do see that, when you do see uh, the amount of diversity, because it also breeds ideas, right, and perspectives, right. And, uh, for me, it's, it's all in all um, benefit to a, to an organization, to uh, the game in general, just to uh, add uh, different aspects and different races and different uh, parts of diversity to. The game. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Oh yeah. I mean it, it's aspirational as well for young players coming through because it if you're like just to use Vancouver for an example, a, a young guy like Theo Bear, it's like if he sees like a, a, a black coach and it's like this is what I could do later on in, in my career, whereas I, I'm I'm followed the game for a number of years and over in Scotland you, you could count the the number number of black coaches that's that's been there at the probably single digits, whereas now things are changing and it's aspirational. And I'm not I'm not trying to put you on the spot and say that you're kind of like leading the charge or being a role model, but th- there is a slight element of that to it. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you touch on uh, players looking up to coaches. Listen, I'm not gonna be every black player's uh, favorite coach, right? Yeah. But Speaking on a personal level, um, you know, uh, I grew up watching Pele play. Yeah. You know, that's who that's who I connected with, right? Um, I remember we had this tape. It was uh, called Giants of Brazil. Right? Uh, there wasn't too much soccer on TV at the time, especially uh, where I lived. So that was my connection. I saw him. And I was like, that's what I want to do. That's who I want to be like. That's who I want to emulate on the field. Right, um, and and you know that's a perfect example. 
example of, of uh, you know, the environment that needs to be created in, in regards to diversity. I mean, look, look, look how I turned out. Not that I was uh, the greatest player. I, I definitely feel I had a relatively good career, but look what, what, what the end product was because of that person that I could identify with growing up. Yeah, I mean, let, let's let's touch on on your career a, a little bit then. Like seventeen years in MLS, when you first came to the league in in two thousand and three with Metro Stars, when you look at the league then to what the league is now, what do you see as the the biggest changes that that you've seen in your lifetime in the league? Oh man, um, the, the league is like night and day from when I started. I think uh, I don't know what the exact number is, but I think there were, well, first of all, it was 2003, and I think there were 12 teams in the league, uh, more or less. Yeah, probably. Um, I think I think only two teams had, had their own stadium, maybe L.A. and Columbus, uh, if that. And, you know, I mean, you look at it now, right? Um, it's gotten so international, you know, However many, what, I don't even know the, the, the number of teams now, but close to 30, I believe. should know that number. Yeah, I lose count because they keep adding them. I think at the moment we're at 27, but it might be 28, but Austin coming in, I, I honestly right. can't remember anymore. Yeah, so, so close to 30 teams. Uh, almost every team has their own stadium. Uh, uh, attendance, right? Attendance is, is skyrocketed. I, I remember playing in Giant Stadium. The New York Metro Stars, and there was only uh, maybe five thousand. So you think five thousand fans in a uh, fifty thousand capacity stadium? What that looks like yeah. uh, playing on actual playing on turf with a football lines. So yeah, just in regards to professionalism, overall uh, atmosphere, game, the the level of the, of the the game has increased so much, and it's been really cool to see that whole evolution because and, and thankfully I played at the time where I kind of got to experience that whole evolution uh, which is really cool you know playing from 2003 to 2019 and just seeing all that came about and, and that span of time and you know even on the on the technical side right the sports science that's involved in, in the game compared to when I started it's uh, these, you know these players have so much so many resources to become better players and it's just uh it's just really beautiful, and, see, and you can see how much it's pushing the level of the game and the level of coaching as well. Yeah, I I saw my first MLS game. I was on holiday in LA in 1997, and when I think from what I saw back then to what it is now, it is totally night and day. I can't imagine what it must have been like playing in it through all those years. Now, you won the MLS Cup in 2006, 2007. Th- those moments in your career, you, I mean, you went and played at the Confederation Cup, you went and played at the World Cup in South Africa. I know it's different playing for club against country, but when you look at those achievements, is the MLS Cup's kind of the pinnacle of your your career, do you feel? Or going to a World Cup, is that more what you feel is like when you look back will be the pinnacle of your career? Uh, shoot, I even take it back to, you know, um, where it all started, you know, playing club ball. My first championship was U10, right? And first state championship. And, you know, so 
people, but um, it just, you know, when you reflect back on your career, you know, at least with, I, with me, you know, those moments are just as, as, as uh, they stick out just as much as, as the other ones, you know, because those are the moments, those younger moments are what got me where I am. And, um, you know, my dad coaching me in, in those moments uh, to get me where I am today. Uh, and, and, you know, the other phase of, of different teams and right and winning MLS Cup. Yeah, like I said, I look at all the phases, not really as, uh, from what I've learned in those in those last few years of my career, right, and applying to my coaching coaching side. So, again, uh, not really technical, but just phases yeah. um, that I experienced and, and was thankfully able to learn from, you know, because there were definitely a lot of highs and lows in my career and, and Well, I mean, that that's the thing. You're, you're coming to Vancouver, you've got a wealth of experience at club level, at international level. I mean, you, you had time in Germany but Eintracht Frankfurt, Stebeck in, in Norway as well. And, of course, I guess a lot of young guys, when they're coming through here, their their goal is to, to play in, in Europe. And the grass isn't always greener over there. And I, I guess that's something that you can probably share with your experiences with these guys when they, they ask you what it's like over there and is that the kind of stuff do you expect to have those kind of conversations with some of the younger guys did you have those kind of conversations with, with the, the academy guys at Houston I think at the end of the day it comes down to what what the player wants and, and you know what makes them, them happy for, for me what made me happy and what made me what made me tick was uh, playing the highest level possible and being the highest level player I could be day in, day out. Um, and if, if that's more, more times than not, if that's the motivation for the player, especially in regards to being, to being their highest level every single day, they're going to want to play in Champions League and they're going to want to play in World Cups and with the national team. And that's only going to make them a, a better player. So, um, yeah, there's players who maybe were happy or have been happy just playing in a, in a local league. And there's players that have thrived by playing in, in those types of, of leagues for most of their career. Look at Darlington Nagby, right? Look at uh, yeah. um, Landon Donovan. Landon Donovan played most of his career here in the MLS, I believe. Yeah. And those players were still able to have successful and competitive careers. Um but I think the I think those are special cases, right? But I think the majority of players, um, if they're like I said, um, aiming to to be better players day in day out, they're gonna um, aspire to to play at the highest level, uh, internationally or club level. Um, but with saying that, um, you know, players can compete at a high high level in this league. You know, um, they. I'm not saying they don't have to go to Europe. It's a very competitive league. They can develop here as well. But um, I think, you know, come on, I think we have to be realistic too, right? Uh, playing the Champions League uh, is is the ultimate. You can't compare playing Champions League to playing in, um, you know, whatever it is, whatever game you think of here. European Champions League, that's what I'm getting at. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's what 
can't compare that. So, again, in order for a player to reach his highest potential, he's got to be aiming for those those highest levels of play. So, that's, uh, yeah, I think that's the mentality a, a player should have if they if they want to That World Cup in South Africa in, in 2010, what was that whole experience like for you? I know you're in quarantine just now. I mean, you've you've been to Vancouver. I, I've worked it out. You've played here four times over the years. Although you've never won here, I, I did notice that because Houston traveling up here, it was a bit of a, a tough time for for the Dynamo whenever ever they played here. I I remember that. But when are you getting out of quarantine? When are you meeting up with everyone and kind of starting starting your role now? Uh, that that's uh. I mean, they have a set of protocols here. Um, you know, I'm just following that and uh, just taking it day by day. I mean, um, it's kind of out of my control. I'm just controlling my controllables right now. Um, you know, hopefully I'll be on the field soon. That's great. Thank you so much for, for your time, Ricardo. Really, really appreciate it. Um, hopefully at some point this year we'll get to, to meet in person and, yeah, enjoy the role. Looking forward to, to seeing what you do with the team uh, and good luck with everything. So some great stuff there from Ricardo Clark. A great addition to the Whitecaps coaching staff. Looking forward to, to seeing what he does with these younger guys. And we, we talked about uh, a lot of things there, guys. We've, we went through his career, the experience, what he's learned and what he shaped. And one, one thing that we, we touched on was the, the fact that throughout professional football, and I, I use the UK as an example, there's so many top players through the years, black players, players of colour, and very few of them go into coaching. So... We're speaking to Rico about that, as you heard there in the interview, and it's baffling as to to why so few of them take this step. And obviously, there's been previous ones in MLS, and 
not trying to hold him up as a as a trailblazer, but it, it said it's something he's thought about, something he's realised about, and like the, the point that he raised was like in Houston in the academy, most of your academy players they're black, they're like Hispanic, and they need kind of a role model to say, look, this is what I can aspire to. So we we need to get more of these coaches, more people from more ethnic backgrounds, more diversity into coaching in MLS and around the world, just so these young guys coming through can see that. And the example I used there was like a, a young Theo Bear could see that and go, you know what, That there's what I want to do when I've hung up my boots in many, many years' time. I, I see that there is a chance to be a coach. And it is really baffling as to how few players have had that opportunity, especially in the UK over the years. Essentially, I think it's more to do with... Um... It was brought up in the NFL that, and I kind of, I saw the point there where uh, owners, um, they're mostly white owners and they don't, uh, they're not really running with uh, the same people like with people of color, maybe. And that could be the reason why that they don't like, they don't relate to them and they don't, they don't see them as viable coaching options. That, that's what I'm thinking that, but I think, it, but you have to really bring them in at the academy level to help them develop. And if it's not brought at that level, it's going to be very hard to reach. Like you can't just put yeah. a, a coach in there at the top levels. And so that might be the reason why maybe they just need better ownership or better management or, or something like that in order to get people uh, or more programs to get people in, invested in there. I know in the NFL, they have actually a rule where you have to um, interview uh, a you know a play uh, a coach of color or whatever a player yeah of color, I, I think color. MLS have something like that as well now the problem is is then you just get somebody that really they're not interested they just but even when they're not interested in that person they are they do get the experience of being able to interview and finding True. out the problem so they actually get their foot in the door and maybe sometimes they there was one coach that uh, they weren't even looking at and they they brought him in as an interview and he it was actually hired in the NFL. I think it was the Pittsburgh Steelers coach and he's been there for like 15 years or something like that now. So it, it has happened in the past, but it, it just happens too irregularly. Yeah. It's getting the opportunity, Zach. And I mean, it's a lot better over here and it's, a, it's getting a lot better in the UK as well, but there are very few of the, the top players of colour that have gone on to, to have top coaching jobs. In MLS, Thierry Henry obviously came in as a, as a high profile guy but yeah, there's just there, there's sadly not many, and it is down to opportunities, as Steve says, and just getting that experience, uh, especially at the academy level, which is how Ricardo has started off. Yeah, and there is, yeah, there is something, uh, you know, and this is obviously big in our culture right now. This this idea of being able to see someone who you can identify with that inspires you to do that thing that they're doing, right? Whether it's a player or a coach. Or whatever we talk. This, this is obviously talked about in a lot of uh, number of ways in our, in our culture right now. And so, yeah, I think it's great. Um, it's, it's good to hear more of Ricardo Clark's story because I don't know his story other than uh, watching him from afar a little bit, especially you know in MLS, but when he was in the Bundesliga a little bit as well. Um, and it's great that he's uh, you know progressing in his career this way. And yeah, hopefully this experience will be a positive one for him and will allow him to. Um, continue to to progress so I wish Rico all the best here in Vancouver we know what he's done in his career we know what he's going to be doing in this role 
We know what he, he wants to achieve in the future here in Vancouver. The only thing we don't really know about him is does he fancy a chocolate digestive? Let's find out. You're not officially a white cap till you, you've had us ask this stupid question on our show. So, Rico, if you're sitting at home and you decide to have a, a hot beverage, what would be your hot beverage of choice? A tea, a coffee, or something else? In the morning, I'm a coffee guy. In the night, I'm a tea guy. And do you have a, a sweet tooth? Do you, do you like biscuits, cookies? Uh, I like cookies, yeah. What would be your cookie of choice? Chocolate chips. Perfect. Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? Anyone fancy a chocolate digestive? Ricardo Clark there, not quite fancying a, a chocolate digestive, just plain cookie kind of guy, but that's good enough for us. But that is it for the Whitecaps chat for this episode. We're going to be turning our attention to the CPL in the next couple of parts, and we'll be back looking at the newest team to join the CPL after this. Hey, I'm Brett Levi's, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's a song I'm sure many of you will know from the TV show Corner Gas. That is the original version of the song. It's called Not A Lot Going On by Northy Valenzuela, which is basically a collaboration between Craig Northy of The Odds and Jesse Valenzuela of the band Gin Blossoms. They worked together on an album in 2003. And of course, a version of that was used as the theme song for the wonderful Corner Gas. One of my all-time favourite Canadian TV shows. I first saw it when I was over here on vacation. Fell in love with it right away. Bought the, the season one DVD that had just come out. And I, I've loved it since. I genuinely can sit and binge watch that to this day. And even though I've seen the episodes loads of times, still funny, still entertaining, and there's not a lot of comedy shows I think that you can maybe say that about. That, for me, is definitely one of those. And I guess a sad confession is that that show basically has taught me all that I know about Saskatchewan. 
my knowledge of the province was basically nil before that. My knowledge of the province now is anything that I've learned in Cornegas, so I don't know how accurate that is. Anyone that is listening to the show from Saskatchewan can let me know how accurate that is for a small prairie town. But my knowledge of Saskatchewan was expanded a little bit this week with a surprise announcement on Friday morning that there's a new CPL team coming, and that team is coming to Saskatoon. The CPL teased on Thursday night that there was going to be a big announcement at 8am Pacific time on Friday. Set fans into overdrive as to what that could be, but from the, the little clip they announced, it was pretty obvious it was going to be a new team that was getting announced. Expectations were that it was probably going to be Quebec, but out of the blue, no leaks. Very rare in modern day football, especially here in Canada and North America. Saskatoon is going to be the new home to a CPL team. Not right away, not for this season, not even for next season, most likely 2023. The league has awarded exclusive rights to a CPL expansion club to Living Sky Sports and Entertainment, a Saskatchewan-based company founded by Alan Simpson, a local businessman with a history in the telecommunications industry. Now, the launch of the expansion club is contingent upon LSSE delivering a soccer-specific stadium to league standards, and they've identified a place in Saskatoon called Prairieland Park that was a a long-rumoured preferred site for a, a soccer stadium in the province and in Saskatoon. And although everything seems very early stages right now, It's exciting news because long overdue, I think, is the CPL coming to Saskatchewan. You can say that about Quebec as well. And I'm pretty sure that there will be an announcement about Quebec sooner rather than later. But I I think the news has gone down pretty well overall. Got a chance on Friday morning to jump on the phone with the, the founder of LSSE, Al Simpson, just to ask him about how long this has been in the works his plans for bringing soccer to the city, and a lot more besides. So once again, grab another hot beverage. Another biscuit of your choice. Doesn't have to be a digestive this time. Sit back, put your feet up, and enjoy our chat with LSSE founder, a new CPL owner, Al Simpson. Very, very exciting day, obviously, for yourselves, the, the company, uh, and just football in, in Saskatchewan. I, I guess the first thing to ask you, Al, is how long has this been in the works for now? Well, I mean, I, I, I first uh, came across CPL, and my interest was peaked back uh, in, uh, in 2017 when I, I simply read about it uh, and, and, and the launch of the league. So... Um, it was, yeah, yeah, I think back then that I, I, uh, I really got keenly interested in doing something. But more recently, um, it, it's just been a, a, you know, a series of discussions back and forth with CPL and, and uh, of course, the, the COVID pandemic affected things and we would, we would speed up and then we would slow down. Um, but it's been a while. My, my initial interest began back in, in 2017. Oh, interesting. I, I was going to ask you, so I guess this is the best time to, to do it now, since you just mentioned it there. 
launching a, a brand new football club in a in a city that hasn't had a professional football club before during a pandemic. I mean, it, it's hard launching it at the best of times at a brand new club, but to do it during a pandemic, what's kind of been the the biggest kind of obstacles that, that you've kind of had in the last year and how quickly do you see things progressing now? Yeah, so, I mean, there haven't been what I would call a lot of obstacles in terms of, of, of sort of moving things forward. Um, with respect to the pandemic question, yeah, I mean, <laughs> my wife asked me the same thing. Um, <laughs> the way that I would answer that is I, I kind of refer to what, a quote that was attributed to Wayne Gretzky when he, they asked him, sort of, explain if you can what the key to your success is. And he sort of said, you know, don't skate to where the puck is, skate to where you think it's going to be. Um, and we think that stadium sports are coming back, spectator sports are coming back, and we will see uh, across, you know, all, all sports um, crowds uh, participating uh, at the stadium. So, our view is, uh, if, we're, if we're confident that that's going to happen, we should get starting on, started on something sooner rather than later because there are, you know, significant timelines to, to getting things done. And here in Saskatchewan, our number one focus now that the agreement in principle is done with, with CPL is we need to build a stadium um, because there's, there's um, a real opportunity in Saskatoon uh, with the people that we're working with at Prairieland to do something really, really unique for for the city of Saskatoon, for Prairieland, and and for soccer in Canada. So we will begin immediately um, uh, and and have done some preliminary work on, on the construction of a stadium, um, and you know we'll, we'll go as quickly as we can. Yeah, looking at the. The, the details for, for Prairie Land, it seems like it's a, a great potential venue. It looks like the potential's great. Like, is, is your launch into the league determined on when this stadium gets finished then? Or are you able to play a temporary home before this gets finished? We haven't, I haven't even entertained the thought uh, about a temporary home right now because that would, would send a signal that somehow perhaps the, the, the new stadium um, might not be um, as, port, as important as it really is. And as a, as, a, as a, I guess, the exclusive rights holder for a CPL team, it's very, very important that we are able to build something that has long-term sustainability. And long-term sustainability um, requires that we have a venue that, makes all walks of our potential fan base very, very comfortable. So, you know, the supporters groups have to be comfortable. The, the casual sports fan has to be comfortable. The families have to be comfortable. Uh, we have to have great food and beverage. We have to have great parking. We have to have a great entertainment venue. So um, we need to focus our attention, and I need to focus my attention, on, on the development and building of a stadium because that will drive you know, sustainable revenue streams, which will in turn make a soccer team sustainable in the long term. Yeah, because I mean, ultimately, football is a business. It's it's like, I, I still have my old-fashioned views of football back in Scotland, where it's 
it wasn't all business related, but in modern day football, basically, yeah, football clubs have to make make a profit, otherwise it, they're they're not going to exist for very long. I, I think when when people were talking about expansion uh, into the CPL, Saskatchewan was always right at the top of the list as as the province that that needed to have it. Saskatoon was always mentioned, Regina was also so mentioned as well. The fact that in Saskatoon you're, you're going to be like the main sports team in the city, is that one of the most appealing things uh, about going to Saskatoon? You know, I, I would like to say that we will be one of the main sporting options in Saskatoon. But right now there's uh, you know National League Lacrosse, yeah. that plays out of Saskatoon. And we've certainly kept on our, our eye on them because they play out of the South Health Centre. Uh, it's a hockey arena. They play indoor lacrosse, and they can they average in excess of 12,000 fans a game. Oh, wow. They're pro lacrosse. Um, and then we've got the uh, Canadian Elite Basketball League playing out of the same venue, which is doing very well, as well as the, the junior hockey club, the Saskatoon Blades. So, I mean, we will join them as part of the sports landscape. Uh, in Saskatoon. Um, but Saskatoon has a, a wonderful foundation of supporter groups and fans uh, and, and youth soccer and adult soccer um, that really lend itself nicely. And when combined with the opportunity at, at Prairieland Park, um, it just seems like something that really deserves uh, our best efforts to get something off the ground. I mean, I, I guess that's the, the thing. When people think of Canadian soccer, maybe Saskatchewan as a province is not at the, the top of the list. I know here in Vancouver, we had Brett Levi's, who was here for a while and is now in the CPL. Thomas Hassal, the, the goalkeeper, is coming out of uh, Saskatchewan as well. But I, I think the, the recent matches that SK Select had certainly showed that there seems to be an appetite for football in the province and you'll have done your research on that as well. I mean, what what is your expectations? I know you maybe don't want to set them too high or too early, but like, what are you hoping for, for size of stadium? What do you realistically think you could attract supporter-wise to these matches? Well, I mean, when we look at the sports landscape, when I look at the sports landscape in Saskatoon, and again, I'll refer back to the the, the other teams that are, that are operating there at the professional level, um, I, I, I think that uh, if we get a stadium done that, that ranges somewhere in size between five and 6,500 uh, seats initially, I think that would be a good start. I think that we should be able to attract uh, four to 5,000 uh, uh, paid patrons, if I can put it that way, a game uh, for a, 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 you know, a CPL season as it stands now. And I think that over the course of time, we should be able to expand that stadium to, you know, 7,500, 10,000 and attract somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, we've seen what other clubs can do around Canada. Um, you know, I was out to the second leg of the, the championship 2019 in Calgary and, and uh, the place was packed. So realistically, you know, 4,000 plus per game would be a nice start. It's certainly not an end point, but would be a, a, a goal, and I think the club could 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 be um, on its way to viability at, at that level of attendance. Your own background um, in in soccer, have you been a like soccer fan for a number of years? Any particular teams that that you follow? No, I mean I 
I played soccer uh, in Saskatchewan. Let me answer it a different way. In Saskatchewan, um, you know, you, you kind of play hockey in the winter and you play, you play football in the fall, and I'm no different. Um, and so getting into soccer is really perhaps somewhat idealistic for me, but I, when I was growing up, you know, if I wasn't playing hockey on Saturday night, I was watching Hockey Night in Canada. And so as a 10, 12, 14-year-old kid, um, me and my friends, though we might not ever be talented enough to play in the National Hockey League, um, we could uh, a vision and a line of sight, you know, from from playing midget, going to junior, junior getting drafted, playing in the NHL or AHL. Um, or conversely, if, if it was the fall, I mean, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders is the dominant team. So you could develop uh, a pathway to pro soccer or pro football, uh, North American football, um, because there was a pro team in your in your backyard. In soccer, there's never been that opportunity in Saskatchewan. You 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 play it as I did on the on the on the playground at recess, and then it just sort of um, got lost in the shuffle with other sports. And I think in part because there was no there was dreams weren't built on the soccer pitches uh, in Saskatchewan in the past because there was just no way of kids visualizing the opportunity. So. I don't come to this as a as a, uh, a hardened uh, soccer fan. I'm a sports fan, so I love all sports, uh, including soccer. Don't have a favorite team, but I, I mean, I don't have a favorite MLB team, but I watch MLB as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I just think I, I come at it more as, as a, a real opportunity to do something unique, grow the game in Saskatchewan. It adds to the culture of the, of the, of the province and the city of Saskatoon to the civic pride and and gives kids uh, something to dream about. Um, that may sound very altruistic again, ideal, idealistic, but that's just the way I see it. I think it's spot on though, because I, I know like the chats I had with Brett Levi's out here over the years, I get a local guy came out of University of Saskatchewan, but there was nowhere for him to play professionally, so he had to to move away from the province and like not every young kid wants to leave their home wants to leave their family so now having a, a team here is is going to be it's just it's something to aspire to so i mean you're doing that which i think is fantastic you've also got rivalries like either side of you now that that you can build up as well you've got valor you've got the albertan teams it's like all oh, this must be really exciting for you Incredibly exciting because you know you, you talk about the rivalries. I mean, there's already sort of uh, natural rivalries on on many different levels, not sport between, let's say, Winnipeg and and Regina, yeah. um, Saskatoon, Edmonton, Saskatoon, Calgary. So they already exist in 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 other areas, and just to be able to to take advantage of that and and grow that rivalry and that uh, you know that sense of community um, is is very very um exciting to us and and look forward to being able to do it so i i don't think i saw in the release i was just checking it again as to when the the entry into the cpl is are you targeting 2022 or is it still to be decided that that's still to be decided uh, you know i i i think that uh, 2022 would be very very ambitious yeah. Um, and probably not realistic uh, because, you know, as I said earlier, uh, job 
job number one is is the building uh, and construction of a stadium. And I mean, you probably can appreciate that um, we have some pretty long winters here, so there's some oh, limitations yeah. on on when you can do certain types of construction in Saskatchewan. So I would say 2022 um, is not in the cards, but uh, we're looking a little bit farther out than that. Yeah, I think that makes sense because you want to also you only get one chance to to launch your club it's something I've said all along with with teams that are starting off you only get this one chance you want to make sure that everything is perfect so I mean what did the next couple of months look like then for you and the organisation and the club the 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 next uh, couple months are just uh, a laser focus on working on stadium designs stadium development um, making sure that we've got all of those sorts of things um, nailed down perfectly. So it's 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 really a laser focus on stadium, um, and that's going to be our 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 laser focus until we get shovel in the ground. It has to be. Um, there's just such a great opportunity that if we can get a a, a soccer ready stadium uh, for a pro club done properly. That, in my mind, sets the foundation for the long-term sustainability of pro soccer in Saskatoon. And we're taking a long view on this, as as I think everybody in the league is. Um, it's being built for long-term sustainability. I mean, that sounds great. Just how much of the league have you had a chance to watch? What what have you made of the, the quality? And I, I always talk in our show about, I was genuinely sur- surprised. I mean, I, I know there's good quality soccer players in Canada, I've watched a lot of guys in like Whitecaps Academy. I know there's the academy in, in Saskatchewan as well. I cover college football, but even I was surprised at the level and the quality of the league. What have you made of it from, from what you've seen? Um, I, I think, you know, the quality is, is very, very high. I mean, I guess you can just point to the fact that, you know, um, CPL against MLS, where the, the Whitecaps were on the MLS side, and, yeah. and CPL was able to, to to forge ahead, if I can say that, <laughs> and uh, and win, um, really speaks to the, the the quality of the league, especially uh, in its inaugural season. And you know that's only going to improve. Um, I don't think it's it's going to go backwards at all. So the, the quality of play, and I'm no expert on it. I mean, I just know what I, I enjoy and and. And, you know, you can see, um, you know, when you sit down and watch the game, you see the talent and the pace and, and, and you go, you know, sometimes you, you don't quite appreciate the athleticism of some of these guys until you get down close and you see actually how fast they are, how quick they are, how in shape they are. So I've been very impressed with the quality of play in, in CPL and, and can only see it get, you know, better as time progresses. I know it's early, the announcement's just been made this morning, but what has the initial reaction been like from people in Saskatoon or people that you've spoken to that knew that this was coming? You know, we didn't didn't speak to a lot of people about this because I I think generally, number one, that's, that's just not my personal style to to go out and talk about things. I'd rather, you know, very much work quietly, uh, go about our business, and and just make sure that, you know, we're doing things properly and in the correct order. So haven't had uh, a lot of a lot of discussions with with anybody um, about this other than 
why, you know, I, I guess um, we were kind of an anomaly in terms of um, really no leaks on this. Um, yeah, that's very yeah. rare in modern football. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I haven't really spoken um, at length uh, to what I would call the broader community. Uh, but certainly intend to now that it's in the public domain. I mean, there's a there are supporters groups uh, in Saskatoon, uh, Bridge City Firm, the Wheat Pool. Yeah. That uh, we'll 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 reach out to in due course and hopefully get to meet those groups in person in Saskatoon and and just talk a, a little bit about our plans and and the club and so on. But um, feedback seems to be very well today. Going going great guns. Yeah, I think it has caught everyone by surprise because I, I think the majority of us expected it was probably going to be Quebec because things had kind of cooled a little bit and all the chatter uh, about Saskatchewan. I'm very excited for it. It's a province I've never been to, so I will definitely make a trip once the everything is up and running. Looking forward to it. I got to within an hour of the border when I was at Drumheller, <laughs> but <laughs> that was about as close as I, I got. So I'm looking forward to it. I wish you all the very best. And I know it's a tough time to start to do this, but it's an exciting time too. So it's been delightful speaking to you today, Alan. And yeah, good luck with everything. Thank you very much as well. So Al Simpson there, the newest CPL owner, I mean, just your thoughts, guys, on the Saskatchewan. So, just your thought, guys, on the Saskatchewan expansion. The province—it's always been really high up, and folk have been talking about new teams coming in, the expansion ladder. Them and Quebec's been basically right at the top, even ahead of, of the lower mainland, because obviously there there is one team in BC, and there's provinces that don't have any teams right right now. But this seemed to come out of nowhere and the fact that it wasn't leaked at all I think was was very impressive and showed just how few people maybe knew about it. I was expecting it to be Quebec. I knew there was a bit of online chatter about it being BC. I knew it wasn't BC from things I'd been told but I thought it was going to be Quebec. Were you surprised that it's Saskatoon? Uh, I'm not overly surprised. It makes sense in a way that um it kind of connects the prairies uh, and has another, it basically sets up a rivalry for Winnipeg at this point. And yeah, I that's think that's important. One. And um, you have like five now solid teams in the West. And it, I, I do think that they need to, but they, by the time they come in the, in the uh, 2023, um, there should be something from Quebec ready to go at that point too. So I think there will be two teams or there should be definitely two teams by then um, coming in. So yeah, it's just a matter of getting some excitement into the season, getting another team set up, and um, they can take their time and set up everything properly so it runs smoothly uh, once they're ready to go in the 2023. I mean, the thing, Zach, about this is it. There's, there was some criticism online. Certain sort of detractors were saying, this isn't really an announcement of a team. It's just an announcement that someone's got the rights to have a team and until they see further development, they don't believe it. I prefer to go by what the the thought on the ground was, and all the soccer people in Saskatchewan were cock-a-hoop about this. They were just delighted about it. And yet, they're taking their time. They're doing it right. As I said in the interview there, you've only got one chance to make a first impression. Don't rush it. 
Al talked about the difficulties of building a stadium and getting all this set up with Saskatchewan winters and stuff like that. Looking at 2023, and he's not even ruling out 2024 if he doesn't feel that they're ready. I think it's the right way to do it. I think it, it's the, the right decision to to go to Saskatchewan. It's maybe not the ownership group, though, that many people were expecting. Joe Bilan is a guy that had done a lot of work out there, testing the waters with SK Select, the, the summer soccer series. Ultimately, I don't think many fans care who the owner is as long as there's a there's a team there. And the current supporters groups, the Wheatpool and Bridge City Firm, seem delighted by, by this announcement. But just what's your take on it all? Oh yeah, there's so so much to talk so much to talk about. It's great that we're talking about uh, the Canadian Premier League in, in these kinds of depths again. Um, yeah, I, I mean it, Saskatchewan was going to have a Canadian Premier League team sooner rather than later. Am I am I super surprised that it's ahead of Quebec a, a little bit? Just because, like you said, there's there's more sort of smoke around what's going on in Quebec. There's mm. more. It had kind of, of gone a bit quiet for Saskatchewan, to be honest. Yeah, and well. We'll get to that maybe in a moment, but I, I think um, the reason why there were there's no this was a little bit of surprise I think for people is a couple of reasons. One, I think the league maybe is getting a little bit better at um, realizing that loose lips sink ships, and uh, things are a little bit tighter in terms of uh, both who's being told what information and 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 how much and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I think that plays a role. Number two. There's no, there's no trademarks here for people to discover online or <laughs> you know applications for. There's no name. There's no so there's none of that stuff to you know for you know people with Google alerts or whatever whatever the sleuthing that they do um, to to find those things and then uh, know what's going on. So that wasn't spoiled by that because there's no name. It's just a, a rights and a a person they're connecting with. In some ways, it reminded me a little bit of obviously on a totally different scale, but like. The announcement that David Beckham's having a team in Miami. Yeah. Now, I don't think this will be that kind of process, but it is it is very interesting. And you're right, Michael. This there is there is there are a number of things going on here below the surface. So on the surface, Saskatchewan's getting a Canadian Premier League team. It looks to be in Saskatoon. They have a primary site they want the stadium to be at. The negotiations or you know for all that and are underway or or started happening this week or whatever uh, or happening next week. Um, so that's the surface level. The 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 that the you know the people are excited about. Yeah, and the supporters in Saskatchewan they are excited. There are some people in Saskatchewan uh, who have been like longtime voyagers who travel all over the country and all over the world to support the Canadian men's and women's national teams who are now going to have a local football club in their province to call their own. And and I think I think people in the in the country are excited because they see how like the Saskatchewan Roughriders are supported there. Right, it's a, a provincial team that. Uh, people in the province identify with. I lived... I, just quickly to, to say about that, I'm glad that at this point anyway, there's no Rough Riders involvement because there's too close-knit stuff with with CFL. Now, obviously, they might be saving themselves for Regina down the road, but or they could still come involved because Al Simpson's the only guy so far that's named and they have said there'll be more investors come on board. But I do like that this is distancing itself from the CFL in that regard. Right. Um, but from a cultural standpoint, you see what the CFL has done in Saskatchewan, and that bodes, I think that bodes well for the potential of what could happen with the, the CPL side in the province. And again, like we've talked about a number of times in the past, 
Saskatoon, long-term for the CPL, you want a team in Saskatoon, you want a team in Regina. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a fantastic rivalry. I lived and went to school in Regina for four years, and it's a, a wonderful place with wonderful people. And uh, there is a, there is, there's definitely like a natural rivalry, even though they come together over things like, uh, uh, things like the, uh, you know, Wheat. supporting the Rough Riders, supporting the Rough Riders and getting away from mosquitoes and all that kind of stuff. Um, so again, a lot of that's the surface stuff. The below the surface stuff is, yes, this Al Simpson, who I've never, I don't think I've ever heard of before, um, is an interesting thing. And you bring up the, jo- the name Joe Beeland, which is also interesting. When you look at this, when I look at this, there's uh, some things that are happening here. Uh, my my take on this announcement is this is a, a a two-pronged effort by the Canadian Premier League, who's being very, very intentional. And I think it's good that they're being intentional about things. And, and we can talk about some of those other things maybe later. But um, with this, they're being very intentional. They are making this announcement now. There's no... There's no name, there's no logo, there's no, you know, all the, you know, there's a, a start date two years down the road. Um, they are doing this now. One, uh, the one offensive that they're fighting is they're trying to, they're trying to get the best possible and quickest probably deal done for the stadium site, which is this prairie land site, which has been talked about and discussed, I think, at least a little bit in the past. Um, as the being the ideal place. And there's a number of things that came out right after the announcement that I don't know if we're going to get into on today's show, maybe another time. But um, so this isn't meant to put pressure for that deal to happen on the politicians, to raise public awareness, to raise public support for those who want to see this happen, to help make get this deal done. And that's really important. When we've looked at one of the stumbling blocks for places uh, across Canada in, in finalizing them having a, a Canadian Premier League team is having an adequate stadium or a place that will partner with them to enable an adequate stadium to be built. And I say that living in a place that has so far lost that struggle. Yeah. Well, Um, I I like that it has to be a soccer specific stadium. Yes. Because it it just rules off the laziness of going to go and play at the university as an example. Totally. Um, The other thing, I think this is also an offensive move. So it's an offensive move towards a league, uh, towards developing the Canadian Premier League. I think it's also a defensive move about some of these things we've talked about in the past about Division Two. There has been these uh, you've reported, you've shared uh, on the show in the past about there are uh, a potential group of a potential group of teams coming together who want to uh, have a form a Division Two in Canada. Um, obviously, they can't do that unless the Canadian uh, Soccer Association, uh, you know, authorizes them to do that, whatever their intentions are or whatever. And it, it feels like the Canadian Premier League already has a, 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 a huge interest in the Division Three with what's going on in Quebec and Ontario. Um, uh, so that they already have a connection to the Division, division Three, And I think they're trying, this is a move to protect their division, the d- potential for them to oversee a Division Two as well. Because Joe Beeland, who used to be at the head of the line for Saskatchewan CPL ownership, who now is no longer, no longer in that spot, was... One of the people who was a who was a big proponent of this Division Two uh, organization getting off the ground, and by taking away Saskatoon and in essence Saskatchewan from that conversation, it it hinders that from progressing forward. And so this is a a big move by the CPL, and that's why it happened, and that's why it happened, I think now, and that's why I think it happened without some of the details that people maybe would hope for or long for. Um, it's to get the stadium done, and I think it's also to protect them from controlling division two 
when it happens in this country. Yeah, I think a, a lot of it is definitely to help get the stadium over the line because, like Prairie Land, I I never heard of it. It looks the potential to to be a, a great venue. Bilan had talked before about that was where he had kind of identified it as being the prime site for for any future team in, in Saskatoon. I think they sponsored SK Selects as as well. We'll come a little bit to that in in a sec, but. The the soccer summer series that they had it it drew good crowds. The Whitecaps played there, and like during the interview, I'll, I'll put my hands up. I clearly my knowledge of of sport in the city was poor because I had no idea that the lacrosse team drew twelve thousand fans to a game. I didn't even know there was a lacrosse team. That's why I, I thought that this was going to be the main major sport in in Saskatoon. So. There we go. But there's great potential, obviously, because when you are in a city that there's not a lot of top-level sport, folk tend to go out and watch it. You saw that with Halifax. They were drawing the crowds. Steve mentioned great rivalries brewing. Valor on the one side, you've always got that Prairie rivalry. I'm sure they'll call it the Dust Bowl Derby or something like that. You've got the Albertans on the other side, and it's great, great potential You've got road trips. You've got traveling fans. They don't have to go too far. It's it's a it's a the, the, the Zach is hundred percent right. They always have a great sporting environment. Um, I always uh, tune it to like include the prairies, all the prairies, as they're really nothing to do there except for sports when for entertainment. So, um, so it's really it's a good place to go. Um, I do think that uh, I think it. The benefits of, of having a team in Saskatoon definitely will outweigh any of the issues that it might entail. Um, once they get a stadium up, I think it'll be it'll f- flow pretty quickly. And I think they'll be probably one of the higher... Uh, I personally think that in order, during these two years that they're setting it up, I think there should be maybe not a preseason tournament, but maybe a midseason tournament in Saskatoon just to get uh, the excitement oh, going. Oh, that's a great and, idea. And then you have a three-team, maybe a three-team tournament between Edmonton, Calgary, and, and Winnipeg, and you have traveling fans coming to Saskatoon, and, and it kind of gets everything going. Al talked about looking to get a stadium built that would be like 5,000 to 6,500 capacity, soccer-specific, tailored to all aspects of the support. So you'll have it that it's it's a comfortable environment for the supporters groups, for the families, just for the other fans. That's that's what you need to do in, in modern day football. As I said, I'm glad they're not playing out the university. I think 2023 is the sensible way to do it. Prairie Land then as the stadium. Now, when I spoke to Al, I didn't know this, and I then got involved in a kind of Twitter thing. I was tagged in that. I then found out about it. The Prairie Land, it's a hot topic in, in Saskatchewan at the moment because they've shut it down as a horse racing venue from this year. There was no horse racing allowed this year. They'd cancelled the 2021 season and now the Marquis Downs are, are getting closed with the sole look to, to then turn it into the, the soccer stadium. So over 500 people are going to lose their jobs involved with that aspect of it. The economy is going to take a hit and there's probably going to be a lot more jobs lost with knock-on effects, suppliers, and, and everything like that as well. Now, you don't want to see anyone lose their job ever, 
you don't want to see folk losing their job at this time when it's tough in a global pandemic and the financial markets. The flip side of that, though, is I'm not a fan of horse racing. I think it's a cruel sport. I think that animal welfare is terrible at times. I've watched documentaries on it and it appalls me that it's still allowed. Whipping horses, everything like that. I'm not going to shed too many tears that horse racing's moved on. It's a it's a delicate subject though culturally though because in Saskatchewan a large proportion of the horse racing community are First Nation so it's raised a lot of issues there they're losing like money for stuff like that my my understanding uh having connected with some people in the province <clears throat> is that the the prairie land race thing was has kind of been on its way out for a number of years this is well, they, like they lost some big money yeah well, they, yeah this isn't covid totally covid related or yeah. like Something that hasn't been coming for a long time. That doesn't mean that it, it, it going away, you know, doesn't create some problems and stuff. However, my understanding is that the the local First Nation, the white the white cap First Nation, I believe it's called. Yes, it is. Um, uh, that if Prairie Land does go away, then it it, it provides th- them the opportunity to uh, then do some horse racing on uh, some areas where they own where. There's like a casino and a golf course and stuff. And so that... Yeah, it's all about licensing. They've been pushing for licensing. And I believe so far it hasn't been given. The easy answer is give them licensing. Let them go and do that. Give the Prairie Land thing. Then surely it's win-win. Because supposedly there was going to be like protests at the the site like the day after this announcement. Oh. That's what I heard. I haven't followed that up and seen if that, that, that actually happened. Yeah, my understanding is is it sounds like the the first nations the white cap first nation community uh could have an ally in uh the cpl to to saskatchewan people and the supporters where yeah the prairie land becomes a football venue and that in turn helps the this new horse racing venture to happen uh, at 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 a new location so yeah i guess that's the interesting thing to watch how that plays out here but hopefully having this announcement now will help get that stadium done help get it built hopefully 2023 last thing we'll talk about in this part about this is the importance of this team from an aspirational point of view to young soccer players in the province you've got the Whitecaps Academy uh, that that runs out of Saskatchewan the big success of the SK Selects but like talking to Brett Levi's years ago he had to leave the province there was no other option there was nowhere he could have played there's no pro teams there Thomas Asal as well. And there's not been many top name Saskatchewan players that you could probably reel off. So hopefully this will really do a lot for these young guys to think, I've got a local team now, that's my initial aspiration, and then see where that takes me. So good luck to, to Al Simpson and, and everyone. It's it's an interesting story to follow. I've talked about this on the show before. I just I love the idea of starting a football club from scratch. It's difficult, obviously especially during a global pandemic, but just to be able to to start something off and just organic growth. We've seen it here with TSS Rovers. I've loved to be a part of that story. So keep a close eye on that, and I'm sure we'll speak to Al Simpson and some more guys from Saskatchewan down the line. But next up, we're going to talk a little bit more expansion because I sit down for an exclusive one-on-one chat with CPL Commissioner David Clanahan, and that's coming up right after this. Hi, I'm David Klanikin. I'm uh, You're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show, one of, one of the great productions that we have in Canada. 
underground saying punk day. Maybe cause I ain't got my punk hair. I don't really care what they do on radio. Punk's not dead when I rock videos. Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, we've gone back to Russia, as promised, stroke as threatened, in the second part of tonight's show. Yes, we're bringing you another new Russian band for you to add to your musical arsenal. And this is a very interesting band. They're called Little Big. They've been on the go since, I think, around 2013. And they were meant to actually be Russia's entrant into last year's Eurovision Song Contest before that got cancelled. That was a song, though, from 2018, taken from their anti-positive Part 1 album. And that was Punk's Not Dead. Cannot get that out of my head. Just been wandering around going, hey, hey, Punk's Not Dead. Hey, hey, Punk's Not Dead. Maybe that'll be you as well. But enough of all that, let's get back to the football chat and let's keep our attention focused on the Canadian Premier League. Now in the last part, we spoke to the newest owner of a CPL side, Saskatoon's Al Simpson. And it was certainly a a momentous day for the league. Anytime you add a new club, it's obviously going to be momentous, even though it's still a couple of years away. Still exciting. Of course, it gets everybody just wondering what the next teams might be, where they might be, stuff like that. We're going to touch on that in the next part. But for this part, I want to bring you a a special sit-down interview that I had this week with CPL Commissioner David Clannan. Now, David was very generous of his time, gave us a half hour to, to chat about a number of issues. So we've talked about expansion, league's finances, what this year might look like with the schedule, And of course, we had to ask him about ratifying the union as well. All those things are covered in our chat. A very enlightening chat as well, and I think you'll you'll get a lot from this. So again, go make yourself another hot beverage. Go grab another biscuit. Sit down, put your feet up, and enjoy our chat with CPL Commissioner David Clanagan. So thank you so much for, for joining us to, today, David. Uh, an exciting day for the league, the announcement of a, a new team coming to Saskatchewan. Yes, we're very, we're very, very pleased. You know, as you know, I think we we've spoken about it before, and I've, I've been very open that you know it's one thing to be a coast to coast and call your, in, a, in a Canadian league and be the top tier uh, men's professional football league in, in Canada. But, you know, you need to kind of be, it's not good enough just to be coast to coast. You need to be filling everywhere else. And so we get to we get to check off another province. So we've, we've covered the West from a provincial perspective. I still think there's more opportunities, obviously. But, but yeah, it's a, it's a big day. And, and, you know, Saskatchewan have been relentless in their, in their uh, the, the fans in Saskatchewan have been relentless in their pursuit of a Canadian Premier League franchise. And we all know that you've, We've all heard the stories. They've been in my office, showed up with their colors and their flags and everything else in my office in Toronto, saying we want to talk to the commissioner, demanding a club. Right? Uh, had them have do the same thing at a, the second leg of the final in 2019, where they they literally. 
literally disrupted, which I say admiringly, they disrupted a, an Andy Petrillo uh, session with me at a fan kind of, you know, get-together the night before the second leg. And it was amazing to see happen. I mean, Andy Petrillo was speechless, but, but like, had a smile from ear to ear when it happened. So, yeah, you know, passion is, uh, is what makes our game. And so I'm, I'm very pleased for the, for the people of Saskatchewan especially and, and Saskatoon for sure. Yeah, I was going to actually use the the word passion. It's a passionate fan base. They they've turned out when they've they've had games there and the SK Select series and stuff like that. And you've got rivalries immediately because you've got Valor on one side, you've got two Alberta teams on the other. It's like it it it's perfect for what you're wanting to do in this league. It feels in terms of building these local natural rivalries. For sure, yeah. The local rivalries make a lot of sense. The other thing is that uh, you know we we believe in building these clubs from the community up. We've we've I think we've done a pretty good job in that. Uh, in fact, I think we've done a great job in, in doing that. You know, involving the fans and supporters, and even everything from naming the teams to the colors to the logos to the you know what they're nicknamed, everything. You know, and and so to me, it's you, you, this our game. Is a type of game that you know typically in in the old world you'd be introduced to the game by your grandfather, but that doesn't happen necessarily here because we don't have that history in Canada. So the history has to start at the community level, and the community has to get behind it. And certainly, you know, uh, sports fans in Saskatchewan are just fantastic. You know, and I I I, I, t- I tip my hat to the to the Rough Riders there because. You know, anybody ever at, you know, anyone I know from the U.S. Who, who throws me the Green Bay Packers as an example of great sports fans, I say, well, there's one up in Saskatchewan that would rival that any day of the week. So that's how I feel. I had a good chat with, with Al Simpson this morning that folk that will be listening to this show will have heard by, by the time they listen to this interview. And it's like the excitement that he has and what he wants to do for the local community, like get, give young players something to aspire to because obviously there's not been a professional soccer team in, in Saskatchewan. What was it about Al and his ownership group that you felt were the right group to go with? Because I know... There'd been other names put out there in the past, but what was it about Al that that made you feel he was the right fit for you? You know, I what I think you know what really impressed me about Al right from day one was he was a, he was a successful businessman, a tremendous amount of connections in the community. There's that word again, right? He also showed a tremendous amount of patience and purpose, and he he believed in 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 our goal to build a pathway. So he knew that there was a there was a you know there was a there was a kind of a knock on effect of what we were trying to do right and he bought he bought into that he, he said it right off right right off the bat he says that this is not a short term game this is a long term game David and I and I see why why we would have to be in it for the long haul and 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 uh, and so he's become a fan of the sport he wasn't a fan of the sport his entire life I yeah. don't think he would claim to be that but he has become a fan because he sees what it does in communities. And what it does for everyone, right? Well, it doesn't matter whether it's young and old, you know, uh, boys or girls, men or women. It doesn't matter. They, they, it brings people together, uh, and it, and it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great sport that way. Now, it's obviously I, I asked Al about this. It, it's tough launching a new football club at any time. Never mind right in the middle of a, a global pandemic and. You know football fans, we're an impatient bunch, we want everything to happen immediately, we want more expansion, we want more teams in the league. 
How difficult has it been for you and the league to get these expansion teams ready? Because I know Al talked about might be looking at 2023 logistically in terms of building stadiums and stuff, but how tricky has it been for the league to get these expansion teams ready and up and running? Well, I think, you know, it's, 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 it's just, a, there's a lot of work involved. The, the, the longest pull on a tent is always the, uh, is always the stadium, like where you're going to play, because municipalities today are not building 200 million stadium, $200 million stadiums for yeah. teams, for professional teams. It's just not happening. Totally understand that. The reality is, so now you have to be a little bit more innovative and creative about the way you do it, and so, so you, you have to, you just have to be a little bit more patient. The other thing is, we have a very set purpose and, and, and set of goals for our league, and so we, you know, we're not going to change who we are. You know, having said that, I would say that the approach we've taken with Al and LSSE and Prairieland is a little bit different than we've done with our other clubs. And the reason being is again, it's back to can you be nimble and can you pivot, and, and is this the right, is this a better approach going forward? In other words, let's get the community behind it. Let's 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 make sure that people want this game, want this this sport in their town, right? Are they prepared to uh, to uh, per, uh, to uh, support it and be there when 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 the when the club needs them? Because the club needs them for a lot of reasons to cheer in the stands, but also needs them. Because it's a live sport, you need them in the stands as well. They need to yeah. cheer, but they need to be there, and they need to be committed to the club, right? And that's that's a big part of what you have to build in in this mar- in this marketplace today. So, you know, that's that's how we look at it. So we have to be very cautious. I wouldn't say cautious. We have to be very choosy about who 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 we want to partner with on this because they have got to believe in what in what we're trying to to accomplish. If they don't if they don't do that, then we have a problem. We, we 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 don't have the right person so or per, or people so I think we've done a great job so far we like uh, the people we have and uh, and everyone is is it's not it's not like a one one mind think type thing but it is it's one purpose that, that we embrace. I think in terms of expansion, like everybody from their own little area has their own desire to get a team. Like we want a, a team in the lower mainland in BC. I know Quebec's crying out for a team. I'd personally love one in PEI because I'd love to move there one day. Like, just little things like that. But how how soon do you see more teams being able to, to come on board? Do you expect more announcements soon? Or do you have to kind of see how this year plays out? The key thing for, for, for me there is, is what, what let's define soon. So our, I will say this. We're, we're still talking to a number of different groups about teams. The bigger issue will be where do they sit and where do they go, right? That's the, that's the, you know, and marrying those two up is is uh, is not the easiest thing in the world. You know, years ago, at Tim Hortons, I used to get franchisees that would come and say, "I want to have a I want to have a Tim Hortons store." I'd say, "Fine, uh, you know, you, you you probably qualify. Where do you want to go?" Well, I I want to be in Oakville, Ontario. Okay, well, you just narrowed the thing to very very small. If you said you'd go anywhere in Canada, you just opened up the the door wide, right? Yeah. But when you start saying, "Oh, I only want to be here," that, that's a difference. So, so you to to match owners to the right the right cities or areas is very important. The other thing is, you know, we're 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 a country of thirty seven million people, roundabout, uh, but we're we're in big geography, and so you know the survey says that you know you're probably looking at fourteen to sixteen clubs in a Premier League in in a, in a country our size, right? Uh, and for where we are in the development part of the game, 
So, you know, we've still got lots of runway, but we've got to be careful what we choose the right areas. And so finding that right catchment area that has enough people that live there that you can create enough fans. We're not in that position of some of the older countries in the world that have been around, that have had leagues around for 100 years that, you know, can put, you know, a dozen clubs in a city, that, you know, and, 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 and every single ticket be sold out every single week, every single game, right? That'll come. But it just won't be tomorrow. I mean, there's been lots of rumours and I've heard things out here about like uh, reorganising the lower leagues, D2. You've already got League One Ontario and stuff under your belts. Is that something that you guys are involved in? Maybe you're not even able to say. Or is that kind of getting done alongside of you? So, no, the answer is yes uh, to all of that. Um, League One Ontario is actually owned by CSB, yeah. Canadian Soccer Business, which is our parent, which is the CPL, right? I mean, I sit on their board of directors, very much involved in that, because to me, that's there are multiple stepping stones to professional soccer in this country, and we need to, we need, but we need, we, there's not enough multiple stones. Let's call it that way, if I could say it that way. Darren will say it that way, but point is, we need more. And so we need to build a, a very strong pathway through. So League One Ontario is phenomenal. I mean, we, we have uh, circa 60 players in, in the CPL today that, that are Canadian players that, that, have, that, that, that applied their trade in, the, in, in League One Ontario before they went on to play either somewhere else before coming to us or straight into the CPL. So that's, that's, a, that's a double thumbs up. I will say to you that League One Ontario this year is growing by five men's clubs and uh, three women's clubs. Yeah. So, so here we are with uh, you know twenty men's clubs in League One Ontario, uh, and and uh, I, uh, I, I'm going to say fifteen women's clubs. Uh, if I got that math wrong, I apologize. But but that's where we're at. So here we're seeing great growth there. And why are we seeing that? We're seeing that because all of a sudden you've got this shining light in the sky called the CPL where now more and more players want to play, right? They want to play, and they want to play further on. They're not leaving the sport at 15 or 16. They're, they're staying at it because they know there's an opportunity. That, and you add in new sports and things like that. So, you know, we're, 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 we're getting, you know, the phone's ringing from across the country saying, hey, we love your model. Uh, we, we're kind of students of it in Ontario. Well, would you talk to us about, you know, what, what that could look like in our province? And I won't say much more than that, but that's that to me is just as important because it's you're building that that foundation that you know that, that is that is that brings the talent along before they before they leave the game uh, because they you know we know this you know 16, 15 and sixteen year olds before you know it school becomes very important you know the boyfriends girlfriends become the issue all you know yeah. jobs part time jobs become an issue oh I, I want to go to college or university I got to buckle down on my school and and all of a sudden you know sometimes it's the sport that gets pushed aside right so we need to especially if there's not really well I don't really know where I'm going I can't really go anywhere if I'm not going to get a scholarship or whatever right. So it's important that we give them uh, something to keep their eye on and, and move forward. Absolutely. Now, financially, obviously, it's been a tough year for everyone. But in terms of football and sport, it's been financially crippling. Island Games, I loved. I thought it was a great spectacle, much like the MLS is back tournament. For me, those were the two highlights, those bubble tournaments of the, the entire season last year. But from a financial impact, 
how how big a hit has last year been for the league? How is the league looking financially just now? Well, we're we're fine we? because we have owners that have committed, as I said earlier, like sixty million dollars, circa sixty million dollars invested already, and they know that that this is a long term game. This is not something that's that you're going to you know you're, there's no get rich quick scheme here in 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 football. Let's 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 be absolutely honest. So our 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 board of governors and our owners are very patient. They've made that very clear. They have a higher purpose. Uh, they know what they're building. They're building something that will last, and for the future, it's about it's a legacy project in, 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 to a, to a large degree. They also realize there's a lot of moving parts, so you got to give it time to germinate. So we're okay that way. Did our owners invest? And I use the word invest uh, because invest is you know is really what you're doing early on in a business. Yeah. You know, you're not losing money; you're investing. You know, at Tim, at Tim's, we used to say when we were building Western Canada out, it would be how much are we allowed to vet, invest this year in Western Canada when we were breaking out of Ontario and the East, right? To try and make, make it work. So it was it's about investing. And yes, our, did our owners invest last year? Yes. Did we do a good job by uh, by bringing the Island Games forward and being able to entertain our fans and supporters? One hundred percent. You're making deposits for the future, Michael. Right? Like at the end of the day, that's what you're really trying to do. Oh yeah. You're making those deposits, and so I I, I would say that for for everything that we did last year, the Island Games, I think we made huge deposits with a number of people. We made, we showed sponsors and partners that we could do things and be innovative and creative, right? We showed we showed our fans and supporters that we cared about them and that it was important that they got to see the game they loved, even if they couldn't be in the stands. And we engaged with them, and that was important. Those are those are key things that that carries over, right? And I think so that comes back and it pays its way forward down the road. You just don't see it in you know in in the short term. But, but that's okay. We talk about that all the time. We understand it. I think you know uh, anyone in sport uh, without people in the seats. Your revenue source is literally literally cut off because your two biggest sources of revenue, truthfully, especially in startup leagues, yeah. are sponsors and partners, right, including media, right, but also the fans that it's bums and seats, right. And if without without one, you don't get the other. So in other words, if you don't have the fans and the support, then you don't get the other guys because the other guys are doing it because of the, of the fans and the support, right. Yeah. So it's a symbiotic relationship with them. The bottom line is. If you don't have that, then you have zero revenue. So now, you know, now you have to decide what are you going to do. You you can go and you know stand in the corner and cry, curl up in a ball, or you can come out swinging and say we're going to do something different here. And I think that's what we did. I think we did that very well in Prince Edward Island. I really do, and, and very happy this week. I don't know if you saw the the uh, the article that came out, but Minister the Minister of Tourism and PEI came out and said that the third party uh, a third party company that they had uh, evaluate everything that they got out of of having us there it was worth about eleven and a half million dollars to the province. Oh, wow. Now considering that they sponsored us for about a million five, that's a pretty good darn good return on the, on their investment, and they're very very happy about it. In fact, they. They'd love us to go and play some games over there, you know, even on an exhibition format. So who knows? Talk, talking still on financials, then the, the there's always like MLS is always criticised for lack of transparency, and that has been levelled a little bit at, at the CPL in your first couple of years. But you were very transparent this week. You 
you came out and you released player salaries and details of the structure and salary cap and, and stuff like that. So, I, I mean, I guess a two-part question. Why did you feel the need to to come out now and release that? And I guess tied in with that, I can't have you on and not ask about, about the union. So are you planning to get that ratified with the, the players' union? So let me let me just talk to you about the financials first, and I'll I'll come back to the second point. Okay, the very fir- the first thing is why why now? The reality is there's so many people out there who you know, and they're not doing it maliciously. They're doing it because they're interested in their fans, right? But they're they're speculating on one, and and so it's the telephone game. One, I tell you something, and by the time it comes back to me, whatever I told you, it's a completely different thing, right? Yeah. So better to be transparent. And, and 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 spell out the facts and 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 have it done and dusted right also explain to uh, to the uh, fans is, as we talked about before there's much more to it in, when I when I talk about about how things work in the league and how much is spent on clubs I think a, a lot of people uh, sometimes believe that oh well these owners must be making off like bandits right they, they're, they're taking bags of cash out of that stadium every time we go there. It's not the case. In a, in a new league, we, you can spend as much as 70-plus percent of your total revenue or sales, as, as we refer to it in, in, in North America, in, uh, just on, on players and coaching and technical stuff. They're just on that, on their total compensation. So that, that math doesn't work, but, but, it doesn't, but that's not the point. The point is you still have to invest. It's an investment game. So you know, even the players, our players understand that. Our players have been very, very good about that. They get it. They understand that. I make no bones about it. Listen, at the end of the day, there are there are Canadian players playing in our league. Remember, each team they're on the roster of twenty three at least minimum of those of those twenty three players. Sixteen of them have to be Canadian. Yeah. There is a ton of Canadian players playing professional soccer in this country today that wouldn't have been playing. Before 2019, so you know it's just you know as I look at it, we're starting off. There's no doubt you're you're going to move the you're going to move the needle as much as you can, but you have to do it in a business format, right? It's uh, what was it? I was told one time someone told me one day, David, I'd love it to be Christmas every day, but that's not going to happen. It just doesn't work that way, right? Like it's so you have to work it through, and we're so transparency is the best way to that, so that no one feels like you're hiding hiding things. We're not hiding anything. It is what it is. So I think we, we talked long and hard about it for, for quite some time. And we think, you know, now's the right time because we're at that point where, you know, you, you, you can articulate the story better. You can also start to explain, well, why do you want younger players? Why do you want uh, younger international players? Why do you only allow seven international players total? Why do you want young Canadians in it, right? Well, you see that when you get 10 CPL players invited to the Olympic training camp, right? There's reasons for that, right? You want, you're developing, hopefully you're helping to develop talent. Because they're not all coming to us, you know, at the end of their career, they're coming to to us when they're beginning their career with huge aspirations and high hopes in their hearts. Now, the other other piece was the, the, the PFA, right? Yeah. So... So that so so the, the misnomer is that I, I'm I'm against this. I'm not against this. I'm not against it at all. I understand it. Um, and but I do, but so and, and I truly believe that that 
they, they, there will be that players association at one point will be recognized in the league. The problem is it's the timing is not great right now. We've had one season, one season, an arbor of season. We played a tournament right on an island, and we've had two potentially two years of COVID unless some miracle happens in the next, you know, through, doesn't mean we won't play, but it's not going to be normal, right? And so uh, that's that's that that, that that I worry about. Doesn't mean that that will uh, that that's going to be the case, but it's a possibility. We have to be honest with ourselves, right? And so that's that's the issue that you're dealing with. And then it, it comes down to, you know, there are rules in the country, and and, and I get asked about automatic certification, voluntary certification, and the reality is not, you know, I. I Someone calls you up and says, I, 99 of your friends told me that they don't like you. Um, what do you say? I don't, I don't know. Like I, I haven't talked to those 99 friends in the last few days. I, I didn't do a poll. Again, I don't, I don't, we don't have all that. And again, and, and, and also, you've got, once you have a lawyer on one side, then, you know, there's other people that get involved, right? And so it, it, it's, it's part of that. So are we talking? Yes, there's talk back and forth. But it's not, uh, it's not formal talks at this point in time. But again, I do believe it's, you know, this is something that needs to be done. It's just, to me, it's not a priority today. We've got other big priorities, um, and one of the biggest is, the, you know, the, the, the biggest thing you need to, you, we need to all understand is to be in business, you have to stay in business. Yeah. And so that's the important part. And everyone in this country that is involved in a business or works in a business today understands it's so important that, 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 you know, to be in business, you have to stay in business. And that, those, those words to me are like, you know, guys, like this is important that we do this right. No one is taking a bunch of, a bunch out of this. Everyone is putting back in. And believe me though, I, I recognize our players are doing a phenomenal job, heart and soul into it. I mean, I get people from around the globe saying, by the way, Caught some of your games. Great talent. Really good. Really good football. Fast. Good. Good skills. You know. Very entertaining. You know. That, we, we can't have more. Uh, in my opinion, you can't. You can't have a better report card than that. So I know our players are doing their job. We need to do the same job and keep keep you know bringing forward all the innovation, the creativity, be nimble, react, move forward. Those are the things that they should expect from us. And at the same time, we'll work together and we'll, we'll get to that right spot they're looking for. Fantastic. And that brings me nicely to my last question. This season, sure. it, it's obviously so much is up in the air. I mean, you've got the Canadian MLS teams that can't even play in Canada just now, but that's because teams are having to cross the border. CPL, you've got the luxury that it's all Canadian teams, but you've still got all the provincial travel restrictions. I know the local amateur leagues here in BC can't play just now, and there's training rules and stuff like that. When do you hope to bring out at least a provisional schedule? And are you looking at a normal-ish season where it's like home and away games? Season we you know we want to play 28 games. That's our season. We've got schedules built on 28 games at this point in time. Okay. The problem we have is because we don't have and again, being respectful of people, you know, we're not we're not going to try and uh, hoodwink anybody here. Like at the end of the day, it, this is all boils down to three things: our governments. So 
provincial and federal, right? It it, it belongs to our health our, our health authorities federally and provincially, right? And the third constituent in this whole thing is all of us. Yeah. We have to we have to understand. We got to do our part too. So all of that has to happen in order to, to be safe, knock this thing down once and for all, get vaccinated, all of those things, right? Those those all have to happen. And so we're not in control of that. We are in control of everything we can do. That's important for me is what are we doing? Are we doing all the right things that we need to do? And are we talking to the right the right people at the government level, at the health with the health authorities, and are we encouraging all our fans and supporters to, hey, do the right thing. Let's get kick, let's kick the crap out of this thing, right? Um, but but in the meantime, absolutely, you know, are we looking at alternatives? Because, you know, I, you know, I might have been born on Tuesday, but it wasn't last Tuesday. Now, now I've got. <laughs> we, we have to look at it and say, okay, if if something happens and we're not able to start at the end of May the way we've been we've been planning. What's our next? What's our next move, right? Yeah. And be prepared to be nimble and evolve, right? And pivot on something, because we need to do that. Do I believe that we'll be in home markets, hopefully with fans in the stands, uh, before the end of this this twenty twenty one season? Absolutely, one hundred percent. I believe that. I just don't know exactly when that's going to happen, but I can guarantee you, if we can do it with all three of those things that I talked about, all, all of us. The government and the health authorities, all happy with what we're doing, will be there as soon as we absolutely can. Yes. And a good track record coming out of the out of PEI. I mean, we had zero. And I don't know if I talked to you about this, but we had zero positive cases. Yeah, which you know, is phenomenal when you look at other leagues. Tests over, uh, you know, about a, almost a two-month process. Zero positive cases. I don't know of another league that can actually claim that. At this point in time, maybe it's a good trivia question, but uh, but I know that we can because we did it, and I'm, I'm very proud of that. Uh, you know, that and a couple of dollars buys you a coffee at a local coffee shop. But the point is, we did it, and we can actually say we did it the right way, and I think people were happy about. It. Yeah, I I think they were. I think it was a big success. Hopefully, this season will be as well. We all want to to get some fans back in the stands. Fingers crossed that at some point. Thank you so much for your time today, David. You've been very, very generous uh, in speaking about everything. Some fantastic stuff from David Klanick in there. Hope you enjoyed that chat. Not every day you get to have that much time with the commissioner of a football league. And we'll unpack some of the big talking points from that chat after this. Hi, I'm Alfonso Davies and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. For many years I had a dream Forever mine, my little queen Your lips for me, like nicotine And in my head, 
Дирин дин дин. Yes, baby, yes, I'm romantic and jackass. Yes, baby, yes, if you want, just kick my ass. Yes, baby, yes, I'm romantic and jackass. Yes, baby, yes, for you, shot glass. Wake up, my heart, wake up, my blood, wake up, my love. Welcome back to the final part of this week's AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's another song from Russia, The Russian Village Boys, with their song Romantic and Jackass, from 2020's Kiss My Peace album. They're a three-piece band from St. Petersburg, formed in 2014, a little bit of a kind of bloodhound gang feel to that song and a couple of their others, but they're they, they cover a lot of styles. A lot of it's kind of rave, dancey style, but I I just like that, and it's a great video as well. You can check that out on YouTube. So we're going to continue our CPL chat in this part, and we're going to kick things off by unpacking my chat that I just had there with David Clanahan. Now, there's a, a lot to talk about coming out of that. First thing I want to talk about is one of the, the stories that kind of came out this week where for the first time we kind of got an official glimpse into the Canadian Premier League finances. Neil Davidson published an article on March 8th kind of just delving into to what things are like financially in the, the CPL. Now, Dwayne Rollins had obviously written his article before on salaries. We talked about that in a previous show. The The league are saying that this season, each team is going to operate with a 1.2 million salary cap that covers both players and coaching technical staff, all that stuff. Player spending must fall between 650000 and 850000 while coach and technical staff is between three fifty and five fifty. Combined, the two have to fall under that $1.2 Now, the cap includes salaries, housing, travel allowances, individual player bonuses, but not league or club accomplishment bonuses. The league says on average that salary cap cap accounts for 57% of team revenue and could reach some 70% factoring into bonuses. Now, I've just read that word from word from Neil's article. Give Neil the credit where it credit's due because it's a fascinating piece that, that Neil put together here. Now, the league is saying that the average player salary for this year is going to be around 40000 Now, obviously, some are going to be a lot higher than that. The top end's expected to be about seventy-seven. You're going to have the much lower things as well, which is like the university guys that sign their, their U-deal contracts. They're going to be on like 10 to 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 12,000. The minimum player salary is 22,000. Uh, that, including other compensation, could rise to a minimum of 26. Now, that's an increase. It's still a low number. It's still not a great number. It's still not a living wage, really. Uh, we, we talked the last time that players can claim like EI and stuff out with the season and things like that. I mean, it, it's not great the salary range it's great though i think that we've got this transparency and that we're talking about this and hopefully 
things will increase. We've got to remember it is during a pandemic year as well and there's not a lot of revenue coming in and a lot of the revenue would be coming in from gate receipts. But but what did you guys make of that? I think it's a reasonable and the fact that they're raising it every a uh, little bit from the, especially from previous years is good. Um, um, it, everybody's got to realize that this is not only a developing league, but it's an also additional opportunities for players. And there have been players that have gone on and use this opportunity to uh, take bigger strides other places uh, in other leagues, in MLS and in yeah. Europe and stuff Trist- like that. Tristan Borges is one. I know it hasn't quite worked out. Joe Waterman, great example yeah. on Montreal squad. So you you got to take this as an opportunity. Yeah, a lot of them are not going to get that opportunity, but um, without the league itself, they would be there would be less like basically less than zero a chance of anything happening. So you got to take it as, uh, with a grain of salt that it is a d- new league. It's developing. They have to try to get people interested. Once they get people interested, this I'm sure the salaries will continue to rise. Uh, once you get more and more people into the stadiums, hopefully that's the case. Um, but you, obviously you never know. They might pull an MLS where they uh, fudge the numbers here and there. I, I've seen a couple of different things, Zach, around whether that 22,000 minimum includes things like their rent allowances and stuff like that, or is that coming off, leaving them with maybe, say, fifteen or 16,000 to, to live on? This might not be a, a popular viewpoint with a lot of folk. I'm all for bonus-driven salaries as well in that performance. Like, if you're playing in a team and it finishes bottom of the league, why would you earn the same as, say, the guys that's finished first or second in the league? So you do need performance bonuses and stuff like that as well. I think that's fair. And I don't think anybody just now thinks that the CPL owners are rolling in the dough. They must have lost a lot of money during the last pandemic year. But... It's still twenty two thousand. It's still a low figure. Yeah, I, I hear, I hear you. And this is the, this is one of the uh, awkward conversations about this league and and where it's at and um, where it could be. Because uh, I agree, like what you said is factually true. <laughs> like, like you know, like uh, it, both you guys, you know, it, it has created opportunities. Uh, some uh, many of these players. Uh, being paid to play football was not in Canada was not an opportunity not an opportunity they had before the league. However, it it's still and and the league's early and yeah, Clanahan talks a lot about this is an investment and the owners don't. I I, I kind of like that he said the owners don't view it as losses at this point. They view it as they're investing in the beginning of something new. I, I actually kind of appreciated that perspective. But I, I, I think they've all gone into it knowing it's like a five to ten year, yeah, plan really yeah. to try and make money out of that. They know it's a it, the soil is difficult, and it's going to take a number of years of working the soil and being intentional and working hard, um, and yeah, trying a few things out as you go along before you yield a crop that will make the the previous years you know uh, meaningful. Um, so so I get that, like I totally understand that. Uh, you know, I've had a number of conversations about that side of things. However, the the salaries that we've discussed previously and that you just talked about now are concerning. They're concerning for, yeah. for how low they are. I, I And I don't disagree with you, Michael, in terms of for this, the league and where it's at for a lot of the, um, for, some, for some of the, or, or many of the contracts to be incentive laden. Like that's not a, I don't think that's a horrible approach. I, 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 but, 
just to, to clarify as well, I do feel the wages need to be higher because that's not living wages. Yeah. And there's been talk in the article, like Marcel de Jong was talking about, players have had to move back home to, to their parents because they can't afford out with the season to, to go and live somewhere. Yeah. I think in terms of the league giving out the salaries, I appreciated Clanahan's saying, you know, uh, we wanted to put stuff out there because, you know, uh, I think he said, you know, you tell someone something and then it goes around a whole bunch of people and it comes back to you and it's not what yeah. you said. And it's not the truth. It's not reality. So I appreciated that. However, it's hard for me not to feel a little bit cynical. And then putting out the salaries also has to do with, you know, uh, it's like a, a thing that takes away from the argument for a union, right? Because in, in this well, yeah, country... Yeah, I was going to come to that next. So, yeah. yeah. And so, uh, yeah, the, the, I think them saying, oh, we're putting out this, this salary just like uh, other leagues that have a union. We're, we're taking care of that. You know, therefore, let's slow down on 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 that front. But um, well, let, let's get to the the union side of it because the the union have said once they're ratified, they're not looking to have collective bargaining for at least a year. They want everything to settle and get everything set up. So once they're ratified, they wouldn't be pushing that for a, for a year. So that that's what they've come out and said. That's been their stance. Now. Obviously, I, I asked David Clanahan there a little bit about the union. I know some folks are going to be listening to this going, why didn't you follow up? Why didn't you push harder as to what it's going to take? I, I think that was the most open I've actually heard him speak about it. I, I don't think I've heard him go into to such details about it. And I might be wrong, or I've maybe just not heard him say it. I still can see this ending up in a court, and that's not good for the union. It's not good for the league. It's not good for the fans. So uh, when you first told me, Michael, when you first messaged about your conversation, I felt a little bit positive about about it. Um, but then when I listened to the interview, I'm I'm to be honest, I'm a little more concerned than I was before. When when they say when when Clanahan says, you know, the most important thing is that we keep the for the for the business is to keep the business going. He's saying essentially how I read what he's saying is. If we were to go into, uh, if we were, if we were to have a players' union, therefore it's going to cost us more to run the league. Therefore, the league could go away. I don't like, I don't like anything that, I don't like that kind of discussion or that kind of talk. I think it's, uh, I don't think it's helpful. Like I, I think there is a reality to it. I think people understand the reality without you having to, without it having to be be stated. And I know he did wasn't stating it explicitly, but he was definitely implicitly saying that. Also. You know, uh, to say that your your primary workers at the beginning of a business, your primary workers don't need the ability to collectively bargain and all that's involved with that uh, until later down the road uh, doesn't really speak highly of how you of how you of how you think of them and their role in what you're doing. Now, I, I it was nice of him to say things like, you know, I I understand I'm viewed as someone who's maybe not for the union, but let me tell you otherwise, I'm not. He, and he said, I'm not against it. But he didn't say he was for it, right? Of course, but um, yeah, there was just a few things uh, that were that were just concerning. The pandemic, too. The pandemic, you know. Yeah, we everyone knows that this is hurting the owners. How much do you think it's hurting the the players, right? Like, if it's hurting people who have a lot of money, think about the dude who made ten grand last year or whatever, right? Like, yeah, how much is, how how much is it hurting but them? The one thing I will say, and I I I, I am. I want the players to have a union eventually. I do want that. Uh, but but the fact that he said he's not against it uh, is probably the closest you're going to get to somebody saying they're for a union. Because I don't think you're going to get anything so pro-union uh, from somebody who's trying to make money. 
Yeah, but when you say I'm not a, I'm not against you, Steve, that doesn't mean I'm for you. You know what I mean? That's like, fine. But the, 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 you, you, in those kind of business dealings, you're that's the closest you're going to get to a positive reaction to something like that. I don't know for me, it's just not, it's not good enough. I guess I, well, I, for from, now, from, it, from the seat I'm sitting in right now and the way I'm yeah. looking at right now, I don't think it's good enough. I mean, ultimately, we all want the union ratified, and we want it ratified as soon as possible, and we want them to have a good relationship. I do totally understand the business side of it, though, as well, because without fans coming in, if this is another year without fans coming in, although he is hopeful that by the end of this year, fans will be in the stands, I I don't know. But the, the, the owners and the clubs need fans in to get this income coming in. As, as, as David said there, it goes hand in hand. Sponsors come on board when there's fans in the stand because they've got somebody to sell their stuff to. Like this season, let's get onto that. They're still looking at a 28-game season. I think that's optimistic. I'd love to see it. It's, again, going to involve inter-provincial travel. I know, like, locally, the VMSL, they've closed their doors now until next season, which is September. So they're not even going to try and come back. They don't feel it's worth it. The PCSL is meant to start in May and that's got teams in the lower mainland, that's got teams in the island, that's got teams in the interior. I don't see that happening either, at least not in May. So are you going to get the CPL season running up in May? It's professional elite sport, so maybe if they're chartering in and out, but then that's a lot more expense for the owners. I wouldn't be surprised to see a slight delay Maybe kicking things off with a tournament, maybe as Steve says, take it to Saskatchewan, like do something at the university there, or go back to PEI. I mean, David talked there about the money that PEI got out of that. It's like phenomenal. That's crazy. I mean, what do you think is going to happen with this season? I don't think it's going to start Victoria Day. No, I agree with that. I think they will try to push it as much as possible. It's good that they're shooting for Victoria Day, but um, if it doesn't happen, I'm not concerned. They can easily squeeze in 28 games over uh, if they need to start a little bit later. I'm, I'm not too concerned at, at this moment. Um, the, in, our, I know in our own province, the projection is, you know, things have, there's been small concessions in terms of what people can do even this weekend. I'm a little concerned uh, that, you know, after spring break, there'll be a bit of a spike here in BC and that might, you know, bring things back down to where they've, they've, they've been more recently. But it's, I think it's a bit of a fool's game to try to try and predict where things will be in May. I mean, if you if you yeah. think about this, I mean, think about this past year, right? Only you were right, Michael, in saying that life won't be normal until 2022. I wish I was not correct. Um, yeah, I, I do not envy anyone involved in logistically planning football, anything really. But like, we're a football show, that's what we're talking about. Obviously, it's going to have a knock-on effect with things like expansion as well because you're not going to see a team this year probably not going to see a team coming in 2022 I'd be very surprised if they did because you want to give it time to build up what happened with Ottawa last year was too rushed maybe some team will come in and big money and try and get something up in 2022 I just don't see it I think they're going to want even numbers and they'll be targeting 2023 but let's just round this bit off by talking about expansion. Now, we touched on it in part three, so we won't go too much into it. The The dream is obviously 
if every province or every main province had a team, I'd love one, say, in New Brunswick, PEI, Newfoundland. The dream is to get one in every one and then two in every one. We've got two already in Alberta, got a couple in Ontario. There's been always talk there's going to be two Quebec teams coming in. And we desperately need one here in the lower mainland, and there'd been murmurs of like German club involvement and and stuff like that. That that German club involvement. That, that's just one article that talked about that, right? There's been yeah, nothing else. I I I it was the first of me hearing anything about it. Not that I, I hear everything, yeah. but it's like I would have thought something big like that. Something that I got back to me from all the people I know involved in in the local soccer community. But the the interesting thing that the David Clanahan said there, and. He tied it in with, like, Tim Hortons. I know folk are going to have listened to that and probably roll their eyes, but I think it's actually, a, it was a good analogy. So in football in terms, if somebody came in and said, yeah, I've got the money, but I only want to have this team in Ontario, what is the big benefit to the league of doing that in terms of growing the league? So he talked about matching owners' interests to where they can go. So it could be that somebody says... I've got the money, I want a team, I don't care where it is. And they say, here you go, here's Quebec. I'm not against that. They might not have local connections and stuff like that. And obviously I would prefer local connections. I'd love a BC person to own the BC team. At this point, any team set up by anyone, I would be snapping their hands off for. Yeah, I agree with that. You're right, it would be great to have a local connection, but... Uh, you can't always have that. And there have been plenty of owners that have come from other territories in, in the U.S. and in Canada that have set up shop and they, they've become part of the community. Um, so as long as they have that sense, then you can easily go anywhere you need to go. Like obviously a Quebec one, you want, uh, I know it's probably cliche, but in order to get excitement, you want somebody like a French type, like a French owner. Yeah, that would what, be what, one of the former national team players involved, like uh, Patrice Bernier, somebody yeah. like that, yeah. And I, I, I said it before, like if you're going to set up a team in the lower mainland, in, in the Fraser Valley, um, you have a, a pretty big star in Germany who has some local ties to here. You bring him in as a part owner. Um, he currently wears red. Uh, Zach knows that. Um, but he, but he, like you bring that kind of connection. Um, you, it doesn't have to be the primary owner. It could always be the secondary owner that has that primary connection. Yeah. That is the voice of the team um, in the local communities. You don't have to have the the top guy be that guy. Obviously, the Whitecaps know that that the top guy doesn't have the voice in here in Vancouver. So, wait, Steve, you're suggesting that Alfonso Davies should own a Canadian Premier League team in... I think he should, it, like, eventually, if especially if it's a German <laughs> contingent, why not bring Alfonso Davies in mm. there to be the base of the franchise? Um, why wouldn't he... And, and for him... The why would he, he'd get would be amazing. Yeah, why, why wouldn't he invest, want to invest in, in a team? Like, I, I would, if I was, uh, like, for future reference. Like, would he want to invest in one in, in, in BC or in Edmonton? Yeah, but, but he's got potential in-laws here but down the road. You need, yeah, you need the right owners in the right in the right situation. You need, yeah, I agree with you. There needs to be some kind of local connection. And there needs to be, I think, I think you need to have an owner who wants to be, even if they're not from the community, be in the community, be a part of the community. I think that's all all valid. So yeah, I think with BC, you know, Lower Mainland, Fraser Valley, like yeah, you you want 
if not a local owner, you want some people highly involved who are, are connected to the, to the communities uh, that, that the club's going to be in. I, I mean, at this point, like how many, how many years has it been? I think it's been like four years. Four, yeah, it's been almost four four years since I've been having conversations, meaningful conversations with with people mm. with meaningful intentions, and um, yeah, in one sense, I'm sad that nothing's come to fruition. However, I think that uh, I don't know, maybe it's my stage of stage of life or whatever. I'm beginning to be be okay with being patient, and and, and it's hoping- actually paid off if you think about it because. Oh. This is the year that this team would potentially have launched in BC. Yeah. And look yeah. at what a disaster that could have ended up being. Exactly. And, I, and I'm hoping, so I'm just hoping that when there's a, a Canadian Premier League club birth in the lower mainland, that it will be done well. It will be done meaningfully. It will be done quality. And I, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to, to get, to get behind it and play. Uh, whatever role I can in, in 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 making it those things. For me, like the league wide, I've said it before that I would love to have see like uh, eight teams in the West, uh, Manitoba and West, and eight teams on, on the Eastern side. You have sixteen teams. You have a two games per team. That's thirty games uh, for the season. That would be ideal. And Perfect. then if you wanted to do promotion relegation, uh, just make sure that there, uh, the there's a D two Western. And then one team gets up from there and the D2 Eastern. And it's not like I, I would keep that uh, separated, not like uh, nationwide, the D2. I would keep two, two different. Yeah, teams. totally. Steve, you you, de- you describe a nice like utopia. It's just it's, yeah. it's, been, it's been a painful road. I know, but you have to yeah. you have to take it. If they jumped in too fast, I think it would have been a disaster, more of a disaster. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be lots of expansion chatter. I'm sure that the Saskatoon club will not be the last one we hear of this year. I'm pretty sure there's going to be another announcement this year and it will be in Quebec. But that is it for this week's show. We'll be back with more chat, more music, more fun next week. But before we go, just let everyone know where they can find you online, starting with Steve. You can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. You'll find me on Twitter after Easter at uh, Zachary AM. Oh, you're doing your staying off for Lent thing again. Yeah, yeah, I'm still. I, if someone sends me a link to an article I need to read on. <laughs> that's a, on that's on a, button football or something I'm, like I'm, that. I, I deleted the app from my phone and I'm not. Oh. From, from there. I'm Michael McCoy. You can find me on Twitter at AFT in Canada. Read all our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. We're also on Instagram at AFT and Soccer. And you probably want to follow us on YouTube as well. YouTube.com backslash AFT in Canada. But until next time, thanks for listening. Take care and mourn the plains of Saskatchewan. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. Ten minutes left. Yeah, but-